Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on and so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Oh, hello. Christine, are you surprised? <laughs> I was surprised because for some reason in my mind, I thought I might have to press record and it just happened for me. So I, it worked out anyway. Well, I, it didn't just happen for you. Eva did it. But yeah, it did. Uh, <laughs> it was the gods. Um, <laughs> yeah, Eva, again, our yeah, god. <laughs> okay, honestly, that's true. Uh, how are you, Christine? You've got, you've got a little like like fancy shirt on today. Oh, I do. Uh, it's a maternity shirt. <laughs> Oh, well, it fooled me if what they were trying to do was make it look like you're going out on a night on the town. Wait, did my delivery arrive to you? Uh oh. <laughs> I just realized I never checked. Um, uh, I, did, I did have Starbucks sent to you. Um, what? And the guy said he, he dropped it off. So I'm, now I thought maybe you had it, but I guess not. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Well, wait, wait, hang up, wait, hang up. This is For not what? the time to be bringing it up right when we start recording. I'm sorry. I should have it's thought about it. It's certainly the time. Let me go check my door. Oh, my God. What <laughs> in the world? Maria Hercene <laughs> Schieffer. Oh, my God. I was so nervous he gave it to the wrong person. Why did he? Why did you do this? What did well, you because do? because I felt bad because I'm the reason you had to wake up er- like really early oh. today. Oh, Relax. I mean, don't keep giving <laughs> these gifts me out of pity. You sent a bunch of vomit emojis, okay? If you didn't think that was going to spiral me into chaos. <laughs> I really didn't know it was going to spiral you, but it worked out really well for me. Ah! Th- <gasps> oh, this is one of my old school fi- uh, recipes. I haven't had this one in so long. Yeah, I oh, haven't I'm- had coffee before I ordered it, so I reverted back to like the early days of our Starbucks ordering with the chocolate dipped things. and Christine, you little shifter. I... <laughs> I'm so glad. I was so nervous. I wrote in there like, please deliver to my friend, like a giant weirdo. And then he responded like, I hope your friend really enjoys it. And I was like, oh. "Did who? Who's my, you sent it to the wrong person, but I'm glad it's here. This is so nice. Phew. Oh my gosh. I did. I, I was not expecting this. You know, I love a good gift and you know, when I can eat it also. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. I'm just and- glad it's there. I'm just so glad. Cause I felt, I felt really bad making you wake up um early to record oh well i feel bad because then we ended up recording at like almost a normal time because i had to push it so now i i half owe you something i think okay okay (laughs) sure my latte (laughs) ah this is so nice and for those who um don't know i have a weird obsession with the chocolate dipped cookies at um Mm. starbucks 
And like, we've had like business meetings with like, like high up people who have like offered us snacks at those meetings. And it was the chocolate chip cookies from, or the chocolate covered cookies from Starbucks. And, um, it took everything in me to like act professional in these meetings when, I, when I, there was a plate of them. I thought for you were going to say I took everything with well, me. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I did at the end. Can I take some of these home? <laughs> it's weird I, we never heard back from those people. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Don't make me feel bad. But <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I, I, re- I just saw a plate of them the whole time. And I got to be honest, it was like having a meeting with dogs, like when they're like, like in a circle surrounding a bowl of peanut butter. Like I was (laughs) not fully paying attention to really important information. Ah, but I have, you got me two of them and I'm really, thank you. Wow. I, this is the beginning of a good day. Wow. Oh, oh, good. I wanted to make sure I didn't send you into a sad day because you were tired and you know. I, this it can't be done now that's for sure <laughs> oh my gosh wow okay well i why, why do you, this is why i drink and it's what i drink also so for those who want to know my my old school recipe i used to get um uh an ice green tea which i still actually i have one in my fridge right now so it's not too old of a recipe a venti, um, by the way a venti well i usually get a trenta on a on a right. on a extra stressful day because i'm like i need the extra gulps but uh <laughs> I get iced green tea and these days I've only been getting it with some sweetener in it, but I also used to add two scoops of like the strawberry puree or whatever, or two pumps. Oh, it's so good. It's like strawberry iced tea. Yum, 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 yum. Oh, good. I'm glad. I, I, I'm glad. I hope it's uh, to your liking. You put me in a very silly mood, Christine. I'm very excited. Wow. You well, got you me know, going. When we logged on, I was in a very silly mood. So um, I'm thrilled to hear. They made it perfect. It literally tastes like a strawberry threw up. That's exactly what I wanted. Yum. That's what I told them. I was like, please follow my instructions. Exactly. Put it together with the chocolate covered cookies. You got a little chocolate covered strawberry situation in the mouth. Ooh la la. We're having a good time. Okay. Our own edible arrangement. Why on earth do you drink besides pleasing me? I got to tell you, I, since we are recording this, I, my scheduling has been very difficult lately because my brother and his girlfriend are jet setting around the country. And so he and I are having a hard time squeezing in recordings. And much like you, he tends to sleep in um, uh-huh. as I used to before I had a hellion in my belly and now I have to wake up at like <laughs> seven in the morning. Um, and so it's been <clears throat> a little bit chaotic trying to schedule everything. And so today we decided to schedule now and this actually worked out great in a selfish way for oh. me because... Leona has a pediatrician appointment at 2 p.m. And uh, Blaze and I were going to go together as we have in the past, but he's bringing her now. And um, he honestly is, I think, relieved because it's very difficult for me to deal with her getting shots because it's just awful to watch her be all happy and like friendly (laughs) (laughs) and bubbly. And then they like stab her with the needle, which is one of my biggest fears anyway. And then I have like a panic attack and last time i just sat in the car and like it was just really bad so anyway i think this is for the best uh blaze is gonna take her and handle the emotional trauma of it and then i'll see her afterward (laughs) i also feel like 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 going to like a medical facility for blaze is like going to the bar with the bros like i feel like (laughs) he's like i mean 
Dr. Blaze. He is not a doctor, but uh, before Eddie White has <laughs> before something I get to say more about emails, it. yeah. But Mr. Medical Blaze, who, by the way, was the only one who could diagnose me with SVT, apparently. So you tell me if he's Dr. Blaze or not. <laughs> um, I feel like him finding out that, like, you're not going with him to the hospital is kind of like a dude finding out that, like, he's ha- like having like a surprise, like, night with the boys. And it's like, yeah. oh, I'm, like, I'm, I'm just sure gonna. Like, it's the same. I'm sure they're bump, gonna do shots. Bumpos. They're not yeah. going to do shots, but they're going to watch his daughter take shots. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's terrible because they put it right in her little leg in her thigh. Yeah. And it just like looks really freaking painful. And oh. the last time it was really sad because they gave her one. And she like was really, she was like, what the hell? And then was like, okay, I'm all right. And like recovered and didn't cry and was really brave and looked at me. Aww. And I was like, good job. And then they gave her another one. And she's like, what the hell? <laughs> like, I thought you were going to. Tell me it was over. What's yep, going on here? Yep, and then she had a breakdown, and then I felt terrible. Anyway, it, it's just it's just rough for me um, in a selfish way. So, uh, so that's why I drink. I'm drinking my little sparkling water because uh, my boxed wine is not ready for consumption yet. I need to give it a couple more hours. Uh, I also was going to say, because it's nine in the fucking morning, but then I remember not for you. It's actually lunchtime. It's at the very least (laughs) afternoon. Yeah, it's at the very least. So anyway, that's why I drink. But um, I'm I'm excited because you did tell me you have something interesting, a story that I will like. I have a very good story. And also before we get away from Leona and medical stuff, I don't know if this is a good sign or not to you, Mm -hmm. but I had another doctor appointment yesterday and the nurse that was helping me was named Leona. No, wait, really? Yeah. I've never met a Leona before. Well, I have now. I can say. Did you say, did you say anything? I wanted to. And then I was like, hmm, but she might have bad news after she's announced herself. Maybe I like let this let this <laughs> let linger. Her space. OK, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, maybe I hold on to the fun fact until I find out that like we're in a happy zone, you know, well, uh, maybe uh, maybe it's a sign for something. I don't know what. But. Yeah. Anyway, I thought you would like to hear I that. I do, because I've never met a Leona. So that's kind of, if you're a listener named Leona, let me know. I'm very curious. If your last name is Lewis, um, uh, let us know. Then that, please sing let me know. Sing it to us. Let us I know in song. I would love to have some, to have some drinks with you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no, I wouldn't, though. Cause... Have I told you? I think I've told you that like the Leona Lewis bleeding love song, that was like how every, like, child my age in my area when we were younger got like forced into like youth group and stuff like that i uh like if i was staying at a friend's house i had to go to their youth group and all that yikes and there was a a youth group or like i don't know i don't know all the right words but it was a church thing for kids and they had like a whole like meeting or like the topic of the day was that they played uh leona lewis's bleeding love and then they talked about how that's how you should feel for jesus oh my god oh my god and i was like hmm i am not gonna come back here (laughs) whoa i was like this sounds gross and like super toxic so i'm just gonna pretty sure that song came out when we were like 17 uh (laughs) oh yeah well however old we were it was like the hottest craze and obviously they were like trying to be topical and i was like this is not the vibe you know so. that's so funny because that song uh i used to despise that song do you know why because you would scream it to jesus no <laughs> <laughs> uh no because it says things about veins oh well it is talking about bleeding so and i feel I, like she i have such a thing about veins and i i used to hear it on the radio and be like stop it 
I feel like if you're writing a song with the word bleed in the title, it would be inappropriate as a songwriter to not incorporate words like veins. Is this what you said in youth group? Because no wonder you were not invited back. (laughs) I wasn't welcome back for a lot of reasons, but let's put it this way. I was certainly, uh, I didn't, I was very secure in my boundaries way back then, and I had no problem standing up for myself. I kind of I miss that part of it's me. It's kind of disturbing because the lyric. I mean, I I now have a new appreciation for Leona Lewis for multiple reasons, and I think um, she has lovely music. But at the time, I was like, I cannot stand the song because she'd say like, I keep on trying to close my veins, and I would like want to throw up. It just freaked me out so much. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at the lyrics now, and I'm like. You cut me open. Uh, I keep falling in love with you. Like, why are you talking to Jesus that way? But I guess. Yeah, know. I was gonna say, you know how like in a fortune cookie where you say like in bed at the end to make it oh. funny. <laughs> you should just read those lyrics and add with Jesus. Jesus. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fun. Uh, that's a fun game. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So, Leona so- the nurse. Love that. So happy. Also, uh-huh. please. Uh, but we were nominated for people's choice i don't know if this comes oh out my god before yeah. then but we we're not it comes out literally this weekend homie for oh so never mind it's too late or next for, weekend or something like that okay well it's too late anyway we were nominated for third webby we're very 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 honored um super honored it's, it's crazy wild i don't it's know crazy. how many people have been nominated three times but i feel like we're like i mean we're one super grateful but two like i'm shocked that we get to be a part of that yeah it feels kind very of tier. it's an honor so um if you have voted thank you very much we just post about it on social media and stuff so yeah and i just i don't i'm i assume we're always on the same page with this kind of stuff but i never address it because i'm always afraid of jinxing it but like i always have a panicky feeling that like you know tomorrow's gonna be the day like we had a great run it's been five years and like i i I always freak out the like everyone's gonna get tired of us like that and oh yeah it is always a nice reminder like oh people are still supporting us um yeah it feels really good i i never had this complex until um some news outlet wrote about us and called us an oldie but a goodie and it (laughs) really rocked me i want to say that's true but it's not because we've always had this complex that we were gonna like run out of store and that happened pretty recently so uh, i know you're attributing it to that but you've always been slightly terrified i've always that, been scared yeah. but that really that really that felt like it home yeah like the first the first nail in the coffin if you will i was like Agreed. oh god we're being called old now yeah um, yeah 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 anyway i yes so thank you so much it, it really did um take me down anxiety wise a few notches to know that people are still out there and, and do really love the show and i don't know what i'm talking about because every time we go to one of your towns everyone is I just know. so lovely and excited it's just i get in my own head so i think COVID also made it harder to 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 kind of see mm-hmm. the support from yes especially when it's just social media that can kind of zap your self-confidence and all that good stuff so it, you you said it perfectly so anyway yes thank you so much to everyone who voted and we very much appreciate you and it, it feels good to still be uh, acknowledged yes, for all of our hard work. So, yeah. okay. So let's get into this. And I want to start it off by apologizing. If anyone hears a weird humming behind me, they are doing roofing construction right now at my place. So like, forget it. There's nothing I can do about the weird well, sounds. Just be lucky. Cause Emmy called it humming or no purring to me and Eva like <laughs> 10 times. And we were like, 
purring. Like we it thought sounds, there was a cat. It I, sounds like a Godzilla-sized cat is taking a nap upstairs is what it sounds like. Oh, cool. Okay, well, also really quick, I just realized this episode comes out on Easter. Um, and oh. as someone who is very concerned with Easter because of only the chocolate. Um, oh, I'm right. Gonna, I'm going to eat some of these Cadbury uh, eggs while you talk, but I'm going to be really quiet. So I just want to promise you. Well, also, and if you hear a noise of me eating it, it's um, it's the roofers upstairs at M's house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be like, are there a bunch of like oversized cats in your mouth chewing or something? <laughs> By the way, since it is Easter, go listen to some Leona Lewis and really praise Jesus as oh, you do. God. So, <laughs> You know, when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind, especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things. But Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts just go to stamps.com click the microphone at the top of the page and enter code drink daylight saving time is starting up again it may feel like there are more hours in the day but if you're hiring it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner there's only one way to do that ZipRecruiter. right now you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com drink ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why 4 out of 5 employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, by the way, speaking of Easter, that makes this story slightly f- funny in a dark way um, at the end. So it, just because on a Christian day, of course, this would be the story I talk about. Okay. So Okay. Okay, uh, I don't know if that gives you any inkling to what's about to happen, but this is the story of Barbara Carlin. What's that? It's a person. Oh, I thought it was going to be a demon. Uh, her name is Swedish. She's uh, no demons involved in this. I, I didn't mean because of her name. I thought you meant because it's a Christian <laughs> holiday. You said, "Oh no, you'll you'll quickly see where the uh, the irony in Christianity happens." I see. Okay. So um, Barbara Carlin is a Swedish woman who was born in 1954. She also, interesting to note, was born to Christian parents. Mm. 
Um, basically, as soon as she could start talking, Barbara would um, tell her parents memories that hadn't happened. In oh, this life. hell yes. Oh, my God. Em. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I put my eggs <sighs> down. I'm excited. By the way, I got so excited for you that my um, my heart started having a little skipped beat for a second. Uh, so. Oh, shit. I'm going to send you a I have a heart monitor on right now, so I'm supposed to tag every time that happens. Excuse I like me. how you, you were so shocked that we were called oldies, and then you're like, hold on, let me check my heart monitor real quick. Let me, let me tap on my heart monitor. So I have to press this button, and then... I have to carry literally a whole second phone around for 30 days nonstop. And it doesn't if it, even have snake, I asked. It literally has one screen and that's it. But I have to press a button every time my heart skips a beat and it like I have to fill out like a little like survey of like symptoms. Oh my so God. anyway, you got me all excited because this is I feel like this is at least um, a good one to talk about. I think it's got a good banter and something you're really going to like. If you can't tell, we're heading towards reincarnation. I'm so excited because I'm currently reading a book. I don't even know if I told you this, but I'm reading a book um, called Erasing Death. And uh, I'm very excited because that's exactly what this is about. Oh, wait, no, I already read Erasing Death. I'm reading Surviving Death right now. Oh, is that a, is it a series? No, this one is. Uh, the other one was by Sam Parnia. This one is the one that they based that Netflix series off of. Ah, um, the one. Did you ever watch that? No. Oh, well, it was very good. Anyway, so this is one of my like current obsessions, but I, I'm like a chapter in, so I don't know anything. I'm very mm. excited about one about erased this. death and one survived death. Who do you think did it better currently? Um, I think Jesus is the reason for the season, so <laughs> he did a pretty good job. He actually destroyed death and came right back. Um, he rolled a big rock away with his own two hands. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be smited today of all days. So, uh, yes, uh, she was telling her parents that there were certain things going on that didn't make sense in her life. And not only that, but she was telling them that they weren't her real parents. <gasps> And her real father was going to come back any day and take her oh, home. Oh, that's kind of sad for her parents. It, it gets even sadder. Uh-oh. Um, she would also tell them that her name was not Barbara, but her name was Anne, and would tell them all about her life as Anne. Barbara um, Anne. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Her father was actually uh, the Beach Boys. All five of them. <laughs> all four of them. <laughs> all four of them. Uh, so eventually... Here's the thing, though. She, she told them her name was Anne. She then started giving them more details and eventually told them her last name. Do you want to take a shot in the dark of what the last name was? Bolin. Frank. <gasps> oh, no. Who had only died nine years before Barbara was born. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. And now you see where the irony of it being Easter is. I don't know about this. This is why. <sighs> so... The parents were like, my kid keeps saying, since she literally could speak, since she was like two years old, she's been like, they're like, Anne Frank, Anne Frank, who the fuck is Anne Frank? Oh, they didn't know, right. Because keep in mind, Anne Frank only died a few years ago and her diary had only come out two years into finding out that the full name was Anne Frank. So wow. the, di the diary was only out for two years and it had not yet been translated to Swedish. Oh my gosh. So they had never heard of Anne Frank or it hadn't blown up yet, which is wild to me that there was ever a world where people didn't know who Anne Frank was. Um, fun fact, apparently, I didn't know this, The Diary of Anne Frank is the second best-selling book after Happy Easter, the Bible. Yep, I did know that, and I'm pretty sure also there was some controversy surrounding the release of her diary because her uncle released it, and 
Yeah. I, so um, the the only information I know about that is that her father originally didn't want it published mm-hmm. at all. Um, and this is information that I got from her cousin who lived with the father for years after he, cause so Anne, Anne Frank's father was the only one in the family who survived the Holocaust mm-hmm. and was able to come back. Um, one of someone they knew was able to save Anne's diary. I guess they had gone to the house and was, were trying to like find keepsakes in case the family survived and they found the diary. So when Otto Frank came back mm-hmm. um, from Auschwitz, he, ended up getting her diary, reading through it, and he didn't want to publish it, but he let some of the close family friends read it. And they were like, this is a fucking historical document. Mm. It has to be published. And then he remembered that one of Anne's big dreams was to be a published writer one day. And so then... Okay. All right. Well, that adds some context. Yeah. um, And I only know that from the person that Otto Frank lived with for the rest of his life when he came back. So I feel like that's a pretty direct source. How do you know that person? Oh, like, like I did research. <laughs> like, oh, I, I was like, what? You never told me this. Okay. No, sorry. no, no. So uh, Anne Frank's cousin ended up being the person that Otto moved in with when he came back from Auschwitz. Got and it. that cousin did interviews talking about the book. I see. Okay, interesting. Um, uh, have you ever read it? I haven't read it in a long time, but I think all of us kind of at some point in high school had yeah, to read it. Um, I think I, I think... Actually, I can say with pretty solid confidence that I didn't really understand what I was reading. I think it was given to me when I was not mentally mature enough for it. Mm -hmm. So I haven't read it properly to answer your question. Yep. Um, But uh, so anyway, they kept saying, I I don't know who Anne Frank is. You've just got a wild imagination. Um, Obviously, they thought everything was just her telling stories and Mm -hmm. they didn't believe her. Um, This is a quote from Barbara, though. Um, She said, I tried to find out how strange it was that I was living in two worlds at the time. I knew my name was Anna Frank, but they insisted on calling me Barbara. And my parents insisted uh, that I call them mom and pa, but I knew they were not my real parents. It was very difficult. It was a very difficult situation to grow up like this because I had no one to talk to. And even though my parents were very loving and caring, they didn't want to deal with this. That sounds traumatic. And she's a literal child, like yeah. not even in school yet. Child. She wouldn't even understand at the slightest what was going on. Yeah. She said that a lot of her life she was just scared. because She was like, why why am I having these thoughts that oh. aren't lining up? And where are my parents? And I mean, be, imagine being three, being like, where's my dad? Traumatized. And someone else is like, I'm your dad. I mean, traumatizing. Yeah. And so for years, she would keep telling them her real name, that her dad was going to come get her. Um, even though she knew that they didn't want to hear it, she just kept saying it. And at the time while growing up, um, in hindsight, Barbara's parents did notice some very peculiar personality traits about her. Um, mainly Mm -hmm. that since birth and all the way through adulthood, uh, at some point, Barbara had a constant, uh, very upsetting fear of men in uniforms. (gasps) She used to have a constant every night nightmare since she was a baby all the way through her childhood all the way through her teen years and and even into some of her adult years of men in uniforms quote running up the stairs and kicking (gasps) in the door to a place where she was hiding in the attic oh my god um barbara was also terrified of uniforms in general even as an adult to a point where she said that 
if she got pulled over by a cop and like asked just to show her ID, which was a very triggering experience mm-hmm. having to show mm-hmm. military personnel, her identification. Um, <clears throat> she said it felt like she without question was going to die. Um, she also was terrified of taking showers. I'll let you marinate on mm-hmm. why a shower might trigger her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also terrified of getting haircuts, which was something that all the people that were brought into concentration camps, mm-hmm. they were, um, forced to have their heads shaved. And it was, so that's part of the experience. And then mm-hmm. she also, her entire life had a incredible aversion to eating beans, which is what mm-hmm. her family lived on in the attic for two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay, all that's like odd. And she keeps saying she's Anne Frank and like, we don't know what to do. So at six years old, they decided to take her to a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And at this point she, uh, felt so shamed by her parents of like, Hey, like, don't talk about this. We don't want to talk about this, that she was already kind of playing the system. And she was like, I'm not going to say shit to the psychiatrist. If I know that a doctor is getting brought into this. So she said nothing. And the therapist went back to her parents being like there, she's fine. So whatever. A year later, at seven or eight, she couldn't remember the official age, she picked up a new passion. You want to guess what that passion was? Writing? Mm-hmm. Oh. Interestingly, it was because this is where I think, like, banter can get involved because it's this whole thing is just full of theories at this point. Sure, but sure. She picked up a new passion, writing, which became a lifelong passion, um, and she interestingly only became interested in writing because she felt like she couldn't talk about her past memories as Anne Frank. So it's almost like which came first, like did Anne Frank cause her interest in writing or is she interested in writing because of her memories of Anne Frank or sure. So kind of a weird, we'll never know which instigated the other. Um, and so she got more quiet about her memories, um, out loud but once she was seven or eight and learned how to write she said it felt like a massive relief quote quote because i could tell the paper everything that i couldn't tell anyone else because once i wrote it i could throw it away oh so she would just like write herself affirmations that she wasn't crazy and then throw them away before someone found out oh my goodness seven years old yeah yeah well you and also you gotta remember that's the 50s like even mm-hmm. psychiatry was not something you just yeah. necessarily did. Uh, yeah. And remember, her parents were Christians, which is another thing right. that is very ironic about this of like, yeah, is that was that a, a sole choice of like, I tried out being Jewish and that didn't fucking work. So like, <sighs> do we do something else this time or like, but I guess my thought, like, why if reincarnation of past lives are real, why would this of all souls, why would this soul like take these memories with them? It sounds like mm-hmm. really traumatizing and yeah. Like what's the point of retaining all these memories, I guess that. So at the end she has a guess. About oh, okay. That. Okay. Um, and one thing I really do like about this story. And by the way, I'm aware that we're talking about the literal Holocaust. So when I say, right. oh, when I like this topic, I sure. please understand that like I'm, not that um delusional but one thing that i really like about this topic in um 
and that we're getting not that it's Anne Frank, but that we're getting a full true behind the scenes backstory of what someone who has these memories is like, or like what their ex- lived experiences. Cause I feel like a lot of times when we talk about reincarnation, we only get like the cool facts and the similarities, but we don't see like, Hey, this really fucked up my childhood. I didn't have yeah. a childhood. And, and like, it gave me so much trauma, but like, I didn't even deserve in this life, didn't deserve in the last life, but like, it makes no sense in this life. And I, yeah. I have nightmares and so you should read, <clears throat> well, I guess not read the book, but you, <laughs> the is there an audio book? Uh, actually yeah probably most likely but also the series on netflix is really good and they do go into specific cases and like one of the first ones in the book at least is about a family a christian family whose son keeps saying he was you know in the war and uh the dad has a really hard time trying to navigate being a christian and accepting mm-hmm. that his son has lived a past life and so it's really interesting to hear yeah like that backstory of like the conflict within the family the conflict within their own like religious selves yeah um so yeah it's i i think it's a really fascinating i also um, think it's super interesting i don't know i feel like we've told a lot of stories either listener stories or reincarnation stories i feel like we've um talked about it a lot um or even like our our listeners who have written in stories about like their kids saying spooky things, but it's good to know about these other people who are adults now and can mm-hmm, and know mm-hmm. how to verbalize what they were going through because yeah. maybe it's like kind of funny that like your kid thinks X, Y, Z, but like just be prepared for some of the trauma that might be showing up and like, and right. in what weird ways that happens. So in that way, in a very subtly silver lining way, it feels like, this is like a really cool story as a PSA for others that mm-hmm, might go through mm-hmm. it, you know? Yeah. Especially cause she's so willing to share. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's truly Anne Frank, I mean, she's still doing like some really cool work out there by being like, Hey, like this is my story in terms of reincarnation. And if you've got some reincarnation going on, like, right, you know, let me tell you what's going. Cause she said that she originally never planned on telling anyone, obviously, that she was Anne Frank. She was like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be that person and claim that. But I think she realized that other people might be going through the same thing and it was almost a disservice to not be public about it. So, yeah. I mean, in that I'm way, always, it's like she's just a good, solid person. I'm always really skeptical. I think a lot of people are when people people say, you know, I was Cleopatra in a past life. I was mm-hmm. King Arthur. I was yada, yada. Um, it, it, cause it just seems to almost, uh, take away from the history. I, I don't know. There's something kind of like icky about that to me. Um, but I am, I'm, so I'm always a little skeptical, but I feel like I, uh, I might be more open-minded about this one. I don't know. I feel like for this one, because it was, she was so young. Why on earth would she just pick that name out of a hat? And on top of it, like Anne Frank wasn't even a famous person yet. As far yeah. as she was concerned, as far as a three-year-old was concerned with parents who did, had never heard of her. Mm-hmm. So I think that's already a good sign that she's not fucking around here. Mm-hmm. It's not like when she mm-hmm. was like 30, she was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm. I have a repressed memory. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So here's when she found out who Anne Frank was. So at seven or eight, when she was reading or writing, she was writing herself little notes about being Anne Frank and kind of writing down memories of like anything she could remember um, and kept it completely to herself. She'd been shamed enough by her family. But one day in school, her teacher brings up Anne Frank in class 
And oh boy. Sh- and that was the first time she realized that Anne Frank was a famous person. And she was like, how the fuck does my teacher know about me? Oh, like, my all other personality or like, yeah, me. Yeah. Or like my trippy. deep family secret, my big shameful yeah. secret. How does the, I feel like, I mean, imagine your, your biggest, darkest secret, your parents have shamed you out of. And like your teacher just starts talking about it in front of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but so she was like, how does this person know about me? Like, it doesn't add up. Like, how do, how does she know Anne Frank when I've never said that name to anybody? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so she was shocked and she realized at this point, oh, this is a famous person. So whatever is going on, it's just not wise to go around claiming that I'm her because people will think I'm crazy. So she that's a smart, a very smart cookie, a smart child for for self-preservation reasons. I mean, I truly and maybe she was just going off of survival, but it good for her. I mean, I I probably would have not read the room like she did and been (laughs) like me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So at 10, she goes on a family trip um, where they go to a bunch of several major cities, including Amsterdam, where Anne Frank Mm -hmm. lived. And I don't know. I I didn't seem to um, I didn't I didn't understand if her parents wanted to go see the Anne Frank house because now Anne Frank is famous or if they were like, my kid keeps calling herself Anne Frank. We should go see who this person is. I don't know what, which scenario it was, but they did see the Anne Frank house as a tourist attraction uh, on the list. And they were like, okay, let's go there. Mm -hmm. By the way, at this time when she was 10, the diary had been translated into Swedish. So the parents had an idea of who Anne Frank Mm -hmm. was. Okay. Um, so, when they got to Amsterdam, the parents wanted to see the Anne Frank house. And just so everybody knows, apparently the streets in Amsterdam are particularly difficult to navigate. I guess the a lot of them are circular and there's a lot of like <laughs> twists and turns and back, back streets and things like that. Um, so especially if you've never been there before, a lot of people will take cabs or just trust other people to direct them. And the day that they planned to go to the house, uh, Barbara's father asked uh, a cab to take them there. And Barbara, who was 10 years old, never been to Amsterdam, Uh said, we don't need a taxi. It's not that far from here. It's like 10 minutes down the road. Oh, my God. And then I guess she said it so confidently. The parents were like, "Okay, you want to, like, show us how to get around? Sure. Like, whatever. And so within 10 minutes, Barbara had gotten them to the house by taking shortcuts and all these random turns that only a local would know and said, like, oh, it's right here. It's right around the corner. We're about to be there. And sure enough, they turned the corner and the house was right there. And at the front door, she looked at her parents and went, it's so weird. It does. It didn't look like this before. (gasps) And then she even mentioned that the front steps had been changed. Oh, my God. Which ended up being true. Right. Um, And although she was super excited on the way to the house, as soon as she walked in, she began having this crazy panic attack. Yeah, I imagine. Um, like super clammy, super sweaty. Her like hands were ice cold. Her own, her own mom was freaked out. Cause I guess like, um, Barbara went to like go hold her hand and the mom was like, Oh my God, are you okay? Um, wow. And I guess the way she described it was like, I didn't want to be there because all of a sudden I ever, she said every room that she went through all of a sudden it clicked in her head because they were identical to the nightmare she'd been having since she was a childhood. <gasps> oh honey. Oh no. And, or since she was a child. And a quote from Barbara is, when I came into that house, it was the most horrifying feeling I've ever felt. Oh. And I guess she said that she didn't want to be there because she, in every room, she could basically predict what the next room was that was going to oh, come up. Oh, how spooky. And 
but she felt like she needed to be there because in a lot of ways it was super validating for everything happening to her. Right. Um, and so she said that the house looked exactly like it did in her dreams ever since she was a baby. And when she got to Anne's old bedroom, Aww. she got really excited because I guess she remembered as Anne Frank, she had put up a bunch of newspaper clippings of pictures of like movie stars at the time. Aww. And she'd, she'd put them up on the walls. And I imagine like if you have felt lost your whole life and you finally found your yeah, bedroom. Yeah, yeah. She, like it must have been in such a dark way, such a a feeling of safety of like I'm home yeah or like Even, at least it makes some sense like I yeah 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 um I don't know how to how to verbalize what she probably felt but no. I I imagine it was in you know terrifying one way because some it's way terrifying in one way because of your nightmares and your memories but also it's like I finally like I was I'm finally back where I thought I was supposed to be yeah, or something yeah yeah um and so she was really excited to see her bedroom. She was like, I want to see all the pictures that are still on the wall. And or when they got closer to the room, she saw something on the wall and she went, oh, look, the pictures are still there. Mm -hmm. And the mom was like, what pictures? Like, what? first of all, what are you talking about? What pictures did you expect to see there? And second of all, the wall is bare. There's no pictures there. Oh. And I guess in her excitement, she assumed, like, she must have just seen something out of the corner of her eye and thought the pictures were still oh, there. Oh, but they weren't. And, uh... She looks at her mom and she's like, I know pictures are supposed to be there. Like, like, dude, I put them up myself. Yeah. And so the mom, now really getting freaked out, went to one of the staff members and asked if there were pictures that used to be on the walls. And the guy said, yeah, Anne Frank put them up, but they <gasps> recently took them down because so many people were touching them that it was starting, they were starting to get worn down. So we're getting them framed and putting them back up later. Oh my goodness. Okay. And that is what made Barbara's mom after all these years, believe her. Um, really? To a point where she told her, you're not alone. Um, so this, and told her, I think, in the house, was like, I understand, I believe you. And all of this was so overwhelming. First of all, your mom finally believes you, so you don't feel like gaslit anymore after yeah. like 10 years. And now you're in a place that's full of nightmares while also feeling like you're in the right space. And like, so she just couldn't handle it. So she was like, you guys keep going through the tour. I'm going to go sit outside. Oh. And when she walked away on the way out, she had some sort of weird, I don't know what happened. If she, I don't know what happened, but she saw a man in a green uniform that nobody else could see. Uh Oh, and she said, quote, I swear to you, he was so real like you are to me now. I know he was there. I fell down on the floor and I was laying there. And when I, look, when I looked up, I could see all these tourists standing there looking at me. And there was no man in a green uniform. Oh, shit. So that makes me wonder, was this like, could this have been such a strong past life moment that she either triggered a powerful flashback? So if right, it just that's felt... that's what I was thinking. Like, did it feel more real because this time it wasn't a dream? It felt like it was happening in real time? Or in the paranormal world, was this such a strong connection that she, like, such a strong connection to, like, the spirit world that she, that was, she was finally actually visualizing it? Yeah. Or, like, was this, had she accidentally, like, conjured a spirit from that time because she was, her soul was in a place with that memory and it was so powerful, like, a well, ghost showed I, up or. I wonder, too, since she said, oh, the photos are still there, maybe she could still kind of see the. Both yeah. layers of like when she was actually there and then the current version of it. Maybe it was yeah. kind of a layered. I it's wonder like maybe yeah. she's in between two worlds and she yeah. can see both both timelines or Yeah, and I mean even 
even the thought of like a PTSD flashback also have been described as, you know, hyper realistic and stuff. So it could yeah, also it have been could, something like that. Yeah. Which also like then that's a a, a very interesting piece of, of conversation of like, so could you have such strong memories of your past life that you you're literally reliving trauma today, which is which I guess you're still doing with the nightmares and everything, but like to have something as real as thinking a person is in front of you is as like a full on flashback from the war. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's frightening. I mean, and that's kind of what happens with that kid I was talking about in that early chapter of the book where he keeps having, he keeps reenacting his own plane crash and like oh having these terrible nightmares. And it's like, his parents are like, what on earth? You know, and it's terrible because like these, they're little kids. <laughs> like, yeah, they shouldn't be having to constantly be thinking about their own death. You know, um, it's kind of I, I feel like when I've heard people say like, oh, my kids have, you know, they remember things from their past. I wish they were able to give me more. It's almost like maybe this is for the best that they it's only a cautionary have like tale. Maybe they only have like three good memories of that time and that's all they need, you know, because right, like maybe right. they're going to have some flashbacks that make no sense. And also that's a great uh, I don't know if like there's no really sound reasoning to this conversation, but I feel like if we wanted to get off on a tangent about like generational trauma, like think of spiritual trauma, like yeah. the fact that it's like fully carried over into her current life and just True. because it's, it was so important to her soul. I mean, they've proven that trauma can impact your DNA and stays in your DNA. So mm-hmm. I, I can only imagine if, if, you know, your soul is co- constantly surviving. I feel like I can't yeah. imagine why it wouldn't be able to carry some of that. It's just such a, <sighs> such a deep conversation with no real answer because there, there are none. Mm-hmm. Um, so that day after she had all these experiences in the Anne Frank house, which like, wow amazing that there you could literally go to your own house and like re- relive it if you wanted to with all these questions in mind um that was the day not only that her mom believed her but it caused her mom to become much more spiritual and a oh. big believer in things like reincarnation and all that her father on the other hand he admitted that like something's up i don't get it and it's you specifically and you're the only <laughs> example that i'm willing to allow to be open minded but for for any other circumstance, he didn't want his faith challenged. I see. So he was, I think Barbara said that the best way she could describe it was that he just always seemed annoyed by it, that, that like it was constantly making him second guess or it was challenging him to he second didn't, guess yeah, his faith. He didn't want to be challenged. Yeah. Interesting. So, so now that the mom was super supportive and Barbara found some peace in that, she honestly, like at the time kind of closed the chapter of that life, uh, Closed that part of her life, or I'm not knowing how to use words today, but she couldn't, she decided that she was over it. She was like, I made peace with it. I got to go to the house. I got some answers. I don't want to talk about it anymore. That's fascinating. So it was almost resolved her. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And she ended up just focusing on her writing, which again, like, is just so wild that like, like interests like that would carry over in another world too. Um, So she used her writing as an outlet to process her uh, memories as Anne Frank, um, but she had no interest in discussing them publicly. She would just write them for herself, and she just felt happy to know that she wasn't crazy. And in her writing, she particularly enjoyed poetry and had notes all over her room, Mm. interestingly, about reincarnation and spirituality. Oh, 
But I imagine if you've had an experience like the Anne Frank house and you're Anne Frank, like, of course, you're going to write about things like reincarnation and spirituality and what it all means. To try and, like, understand it, maybe. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, so at 11, there was a family friend that came over and, I guess, saw some of the notes that she had written down. And I guess they were notes about poetry. And he liked them so much, he asked uh, the family, can I publish some of this for her can i or can i give i have a friend that's a publisher can i give this to him and see what he thinks and so they were like yeah go for it like she's just writing all the time might as well take a few scraps and see what happens and by a year later by 12 years old her first book of poetry was published whoa and it was called uh i'm sorry for the dialect uh I don't speak Swedish, but uh, Manaskan Pa Jordan, which translates to man on earth. And here's the thing. Talk about living out a the success story that Anne Frank might have wanted. By 12 years old, not only was this her first book published, but it like blew the fuck up. It became one of the most popular books in Sweden. Really? Apparently she was even like as a child to promote this ended up on like TV programs and like it, within the next five years, she had published even more books, either nine or 10 in total, all before Holy she shit. was 18, all before she was 18. And during this time as a writer, Barbara realized that her past life memories were fading away. Mm. And so I think it's kind of interesting that maybe it was like, Anne Frank like had her, it was almost oh. like she had made peace, like she did what she wanted. She or... got to live that dream of being a published author. Yeah, something like that. Wow. And even even more fascinating slash spooky is by 15, um, no new memories were surfacing. In fact, uh, a lot of the memories were that she had even had up until 15 were fading away and she almost couldn't remember Anne Frank anymore. And the same nightmares stopped coming. So That's she had those nightmares all the way until 15 and 15 is when Anne Frank died. Okay. Wow. Oh, I just got goose came. I wasn't even thinking that I was not even mm-hmm. thinking that I was thinking, you know, so many times this seems to be a running theme that as kids get older, they lose those, the clarity of those past lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they just seem to kind of disappear, but yeah, I hadn't even thought of the 15 correlation. Yeah. And so, she, all these memories, the nightmares, they all went away when she was 15. And so that makes me think, could Barbara have not had any more memories after 15 because Anne didn't have any memories after 15? Or did Anne Frank feel like she got her second chance to, you know, have 15 years and then she moved on? And so when she, you know, got her second chance and was able to fade away, like all of the attachment to Barbara took you know, left her body or did Anne and Barbara's core memories detach from one another once Barbara out- outlived Anne's lifetime? And so or was it just like the standard, like as kids grow older, they lose their past yeah. life memories? Yeah. So we do know, um, those were just some of my theories that in the middle of the night I wrote down like a crazed person, but we do know that her memories to Anne Frank didn't officially detach. They kind of just went into hiding because uh, later in oh. life, Barbara, Barbara had something happen to her that brought them back up. Oh, interesting. So they were more like now repressed. 
Yeah. So, so then that gives me like secondary questions where I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, if it wasn't the situation where you're a kid and the fate and the feelings or the memories go away, why did Anne Frank feel like this was a time where we could close that chapter or do all kids have the ability to bring it back and just haven't had an experience like Barbara did? So it's who knows? Well, hmm, I also think. I know I, I gave like, you a heavy topic today, sorry, but <laughs> no, it is it's so, so fascinating. Fast. It is. And I, I wonder, too, I mean, I, I think memory without past life experiences, memory is such a fascinating concept that we still don't scientists still don't understand. So it makes you think like even if your own childhood memories become you know your our yeah. childhood memories become yeah. faded as we grow older but you can repress things especially if they're traumatic and you can they can be re-triggered later in life so we don't know where they go in your brain but like maybe it's something similar where <laughs> it's just like a normal memory that you can kind of pull back later yeah great mm. point so um so they end up coming back later uh, because something happens. So when Barbara was, um, by the way, for people wondering if I'm pronouncing her name like Barbara, it's because it's spelled like that. So um, I feel like I'm trying to subtly emphasize the Barbara. It's not Barbara. Mm-hmm. Um, so at 15, the memories start fading away. She focuses on her writing and she has written like nine or 10 books by the time she's 18. Then she has a son a year later, and by 24, or sorry, by 23, she was like, I need a side hustle. I need something that I can financially depend on for my kid. Um, And even though I'm having fun writing books and I'm getting some success from that, I need to, like, just be more mature about this and make sure that I'm always financially stable for him. So here's an interesting thing. Despite her like wild anxiety about uniforms. Um, She did have for her whole life, which I had yet to mention this whole time through her life. She's also loved horses. Oh. And so she was like, despite the fear of uniforms, but for my love of horses, I need the money. So I'm going to become a mounted police officer. Oh my. Okay. Because she wanted to conquer her fear of uniforms. I was going to say, maybe it was a way to resolve that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. She, Oh, that was 100% 100% it she's this is a quote from her I can ride and get paid for it and put myself in a uniform and maybe I can be normal wow which is so sad but yeah. she, she she goes on in that sentence to say uh I could accept that uniforms aren't like killing machines so wow um and she ended up doing that for 15 years and she said she really liked it because the part of the uh business she worked in was she trained the horses that's very cool so and that's, I think that you know, was, horses are very therapeutic to work yeah. with. Yeah. It's, it's so, and also I was going to mention that later that it's so interesting that horses are known to be like a therapy animal mm-hmm. and it, it's, I, in the, in the cosmic world, I wonder if there was a plan of some sort of like, you're going to be a person who remembers a lot of your past trauma, but we're going to put you in a world where like you also have some sort yeah, of therapy like, to rely on because like writing and horses path, right a path for healing that yeah that's interesting writing and horses are both known to be like great outlets and mm-hmm. so it makes sense the writing one in a few ways but the horse one too is almost like the world was saying like we're going to give you spaces to like feel safe and that's like process this again if you're like more of a cosmic believer or trying to think in that way which yeah, i'm trying yeah. to do i'm like desperately trying to solve this mystery as i, know, I go through the notes I know. 
So she ended up doing that job for 15 years. And while she was there, eventually at one point she starts having a horrible time with this one coworker. Um, and she said originally that there was no reason why she didn't like him, but just his voice or seeing him fucking terrified her. Uh And it just triggered something inside of her. And over time, I don't know if he could like read the room that she didn't like him or something, but, uh, eventually he really showed his true colors and became a very, dominant and um dark person to work with Mm. on top of him being scary this guy and a second co-worker both started causing really serious trouble for her at work and it became uh, a really just dark space for her to be in so this one job that she really liked and she was already conquering a fear that she thought she never could now she didn't want to go there um and I don't know what the situation was, but in interviews, she keeps it pretty vague and says that it was a very complex and dark experience. And she felt like they were constantly like on a crusade to be against her. Oh my God. So they were super aggressive and awful to her and their treatment jogged old memories and her same nightmares started coming back. Oh no. Okay. And she felt like, and one in an interview I watched, she said she felt like she was being traumatized during the day as well as at night. So there was no relief from it because she'd have these nightmares and then be like super jittery and scared and terrified and then have to go into work and deal with people in real life who made her feel like the nightmares. Not a safe place anymore. Right. And so it got, and I think she does talk somewhere about in more detail what the situation was, but in interviews, she was just kind of keeping it like more Mm. short But I guess it was so bad that, um, trigger warning, she ended up feeling like she just couldn't take it any longer Mm. and she was having some ideation and one night she just begged for an answer. She was just, why is this happening to me? Why did I not get to have a childhood? Because I was just always so constantly thinking about this. I thought I finally got away from this. Mm. I got to have my own life and I I was doing better. And now all of a sudden these memories are coming back. Like what the fuck is going on? Mm -hmm. Um, and that night, I guess she said that she felt like something happened when she was thinking like that, where some, she felt like you're about to get an answer. Mm. And that night she had the same nightmare, but this time it was the a nightmare with answers that she needed. And oh. basically, um, she found out that the two people she was working with were also reincarnated from that time <gasps> as people she had to deal with as Anne Frank, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, no. What the so, fuck? This experience, by the way, encouraged Barbara to write another book. And this is the book where she publicly came out as Anne Frank. So, oh my gosh, I am freaking out. This is so grotesque and scary. So the book is called And the Wolves Howled. And uh, if you wanted to read it, it's where she is now not keeping it a secret. So and this is in her 40s at this point or late 30s, early 40s. So that whole time she had kept it a secret except from like close friends. So um, or maybe not even that. Maybe it was just her parents. But she never talked about it publicly up until this book that came out decades after she had had to deal with all of this. And um, she's, she even said in her interview, she was like, if you asked me 10 years ago, if people would know I was Anne Frank, like, no way. I thought I was taking that to the grave. And so whatever happened with these two men and then this like really powerful dream wow. that came out of it 
pushed her to tell everybody the truth. So I feel like some people might be like, well, what are the odds? That's so absurd. But I feel like if you do believe in the concept of like a soul's journey and uh, Mm -hmm. that, you know, there is that theory that souls come back to learn lessons, to grow, to, and oftentimes are in each other's spheres over and over again in different Mm -hmm. relationships. So it's not like totally absurd that two people who, like knew maybe each other. Were, yeah, like maybe there was some reason these they needed to be resolving something new or Well, especially like it like in my mind, like I feel like you and I knew each other in a past life and like nothing even that traumatic maybe happened. I don't right. know. But like for something for like literally Anne Frank and Nazis, like of course there's gonna be some sort of powerful thing that has to carry over in yeah, my you mind. Can totally understand why that would that dynamic would would last several lifetimes or yeah, and I I mean even like you said, even relationships that are just kind of like inane like uh, friends siblings parent you know child and then over time those souls just kind of keep coming back in each other's circle yeah yeah it also makes me wonder though too i'm like it it just gives me more questions because i'm like why on earth would the world make that poor soul run into nazis again you like you know but like why would it have done that the first time you know what i mean yeah exactly yeah it's like you would think like I'd get a grace period before I had to deal with evil in the next life. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, like you would think, oh, in a next life, Anne Frank is just going to be the queen and just yeah, deserve just love and like only and happiness. love and happiness. Right. But I and feel if like this, and if the story is true, I mean, I guess it makes more sense in terms of trauma. But it's still sad to know that Anne Frank came back and had to suffer in a different way. And it's yeah. like, are you fucking kidding me? That's not how we wanted this to play out no and i feel like it's definitely not like instant karma but i do wonder if over time because you know some people theorize too that we choose our lives you know after in the in in the in between Mm -hmm. we choose our next life we choose who our parents are we choose who so it makes you wonder like maybe there was some sort of sole purpose of like we're gonna do this one more time or yeah (laughs) we're gonna do this again Oh, it's so fascinating, Em. Oh, my gosh. So this is a this is about a, a short paragraph, but I didn't want to uh, paraphrase. So this is how Barbara um, describes what happened in the dream and what she thinks it means for her to have oh. been Anne Frank. Okay. So, um, again, she had that really wild dream. It encouraged her to write this book and come out publicly as Anne Frank. So. Mm-hmm. In my dream, and also if any of it sounds a little broken, English is not her first language. You know the drill. Um, <laughs> but I, I tried to keep it as um, verbatim as possible. Cool. In my dream, I could see that those two people that were persecuting me in this life, they were in my past life. And things happened in my last days as Anne Frank that explain why things happened as they did in this lifetime. Because there was unfinished business. Mm. And when I realized that, it gave me so much strength that I could stand up and say, well, last time you managed to kill me, and this time you will not. Because remember, she was having some ideation. Oh, my God. You're right. And so uh, 
it gave me so much strength that I could stand up and say, well, last time you killed me and this time you won't. This time I have the choice to stand up and say, I will not allow you to kill me. In my past life, I didn't have that choice. And after that, I came to the conclusion that the reason why I've had these memories must have been because, first of all, I wouldn't have sur survived this thing without those memories because everything would have seemed totally meaningless and evil to me. Wow. The second thing is I wrote my book where I go off and say I was Anne Frank. And that's not the important message, but the important message is that if you know that you've had a life before, that it could be things that happened to you in your past life, or it could be karma, or it could be people around you that affected you at the time. This is the reason why things happen now. You don't have to remember your past life, but I think it makes it easier for you to know that you had one. To me, it definitely saved my life to see the connection and to know that I was the one to make the choice in this life. What? I've, I'm getting goose cam central. I just I love the notion of it gave it it gave it context and reason. It wasn't just they were evil for no reason and ruining my life. Like it it gave it some layers and meaning and it's like you get a second chance at fighting for yourself. Yeah, and that's what what made it easier to address. That's just and, so interesting. And it's almost I mean, this is kind of I think it's fucked up, but maybe in like a poetic way, which hey, she liked poetry, so I don't know. But I think it's Maybe it was, I don't want to say meant to be or intentional, but it feels like it was, it's more important that the people she had to face in this life were people she knew in the past life. It wasn't just a random mean person on the street. Yeah, like if, exactly. Like it, like there was a meaning. A symbolism. It. There was yes, a symbolism yeah, to it. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, by the way, after she, after this experience where she finally like had her aha moment of why she'd been having all these experiences her whole life to like lead up to her being able to stand up for herself when the time came. Um, after this clarity, she never had any more nightmares, no more anxiety, found total wow. peace and then ended up moving to the U S for a fresh start. Wow. So in 1995, I think this was when the book was being published before it had officially come out where she was announcing I am Anne Frank. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a man that heard about her named buddy Elias, who was a famous actor in, I think Switzerland at the time. Um, and he also happened to be the president of Anne Frank's foundation. Oh, he also happened to be the cousin and only remaining living relative of Anne Frank. Oh boy. And apparently, according to him, him and Anne were super close. They played together. Uh, Anne Frank mentions him a bunch of times in her diary mm -hmm. as burned. Um, and this is the cousin where after her father Otto got out of Auschwitz, um, he lived with Buddy until he died. Right. So he happens to know Barbara's, uh, Barbara's publisher, who... I guess under the radar wasn't supposed to, but told him about Barbara because like, I think hey, he was he was conflict like, of interest. For, he for was like, this book. yo, like, I know you run Anne Frank's uh, foundation and your her Related. cousin. I just wanted to let you know that, like, he, I kind of fucking know your cousin and she's alive. Uh, so I think because they knew each other, he like let it slip, even yeah. though Barbara didn't want people to know that yet. So Buddy ended up saying, um, yeah, I certainly want to meet this person. One, because I'm fascinated, but two, who the fuck is claiming to be my cousin that died in a horrible tragedy all these say, years I would ago? Be I would be, my first instinct would be defensive. Like, are you kidding me? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and I'm sure 
she wasn't the first person to claim to be Anne Frank or something like that, or that he's had to deal with. So he said, uh, if you can go, Mr. Publisher, if you can go to Barbara and tell her that, uh, I'm a huge fan of her poetry from when she was younger. Can I, can I take her to dinner? Don't tell her that I'm related to Anne Frank. I don't want her to know anything. And so they instead said like, Oh, a fan of your poetry wants to meet you and they're in town or something. So Barbara agreed to meet, and according to both of them, the second that their eyes met, they fell into each other's arms and cried. And they both have said uh, at separate times that they had an instant soul connection and knew each other immediately. Now I'm crying. (laughs) I mean, especially for her to just think it was a fan of her poetry. Like, she didn't know that this guy was related to Anne Frank. And And for him to be like, oh, I'm just going to test and see the test the waters. And then like instantly it's like, never mind. I don't need to test it. Yeah. He said he just looked into her eyes and they just like fell into each other and cried. I think that's the most. I don't know. I think that I feel comforted hearing from a direct relative of Anne Frank saying like, hey, I also believe this just because it makes it feel less kind of like the stranger is doing this and yeah yeah well he ends up getting like and remember he's like a famous actor so he Mm. ended up coming under fire so badly like tabloids were fucking canceling this guy okay because he was also at the time he was around like 70 70 ish 75 ish and he um he was a famous person who ran the Anne Frank foundation who was related to Anne Frank and was and publicly backed her and said, I support this book. This is my cousin, Anne Frank. And everyone started thinking probably like, Oh, this senile old man who, like who runs a huge foundation full of money for Anne Frank is getting swindled. And so like, Oh yeah. I mean, it is sketchy if you just hear it in that out of context. Yeah. So he ended up getting like canceled to a point where, even oh. Barbara was like, you're getting death threats. You need to stop publicly supporting me. Just don't talk to the press anymore. And that's what he ended up doing. Cause he almost had like a heart attack. Like it, he was oh. like, he was getting through the being put through the ringer. So, okay. but anyway, so they fell into each other and hugged and cried and they talked for hours that night. And buddy has again, openly stated to the press that he is convinced without question. That is his wow. cousin, Anne Frank. Wow. And she even, uh, before she, put out her book because I guess this all happened when she was in the middle of writing it. She gave him the manuscript and asked for his approval before publishing it to be like, I want you to know the, like, if you're uncomfortable with this, we're not doing it. That's cool. And he said like you, I mean, she was literally coming out as Anne Frank's next life, like Anne Frank 2.0. And he basically said like, this is this, you got to do it. So he was super, encouraging and supportive and again got in a lot of public trouble about that um and until 2015 only a few years ago when buddy passed away the two stayed super close friends they talked at least once a week and they would stay with each other when they were in town Mm. um and i have to think barbara must have finally felt like she knew somebody from her past Mm -hmm. that she could talk to about that stuff and then also like she i'm sure she like could research it and just go to a library but it must have been really nice to hear from her cousin like what was my dad like for the rest of his life because she, right. and frank never got to know like the, right like the missing pieces you couldn't find on on the internet or like tell, you know. like what what would he say about me what like right and like um and buddy has been open in interviews too of like how Otto handled the 
the next coming weeks after he finally came out of Auschwitz and he was looking for his kids and he was like all these horrible things, but like, it must've been really powerful to be able to hear your cousin talk about your dad because you missed out on the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And you, so in some ways I feel like that was probably really relieving. Um, maybe just to like look into the eyes of someone who sees you, sees you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if anything came out of it, at least the cousins were reunited. And, um, before I close out, I want to give a recap on, um, just some of the similarities that people over the years oh, yeah. saw of Anne and Barbara. So um, first of all, one point of uh, evidence that they are the same person is obviously all those crazy memories and nightmares that she was having, um, plus basic interests. Both of them loved to talk about spirituality. If you look at Anne Frank's writing, she also liked spirituality. She loved nature. She loved animals. And Barbara wrote a lot about spirituality, had several animals and worked with horses her whole life. And she was like a champion equestrian, like Mm. did like was huge with horses. They both had the same phobias, um, uniforms, showers, haircuts, eating beans. Um, And weirdly, their resemblance is very similar. Oh, interesting. It, I was watching an interview um, last night of Barbara and, I maybe it was because I was primed to think like this, but I I kept like trying to envision like if you put Anne Frank's face in one of those generators to see what she'd look like as a woman, it would look very similar to how Barbara looks. And also the fact that they one died and one was born within 10 years of each other Mm -hmm. at 15, Barbara's memories faded, which is when Anne Frank died. Um, their talents, they were both famous for their writing as young teens. Um, they both had their work translated into multiple languages. And interestingly, both of their writing often talked about good and evil. So there's a very famous quote from Anne Frank on good who said, in spite of everything, I still really believe that people are really good at heart. And without even meaning to, if you go back and look at some of Barbara's writing, this is what she says about about good. The more people there are who believe in good and in the good force within themselves, the greater the possibility of keeping evil under control. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's a powerful thing for a kid to be writing, you know? Yeah. And then for someone else to be trying to make it as their own writer and still the same information's coming out. Yeah. And I think that's really powerful too, that if it is the, in fact, the same soul that like, despite what happened to Anne Frank, that same belief in good is persisting. Like she still believes in the good of humanity after all that. I mean, that's really powerful too. Literally into her next lifetime. Yeah. She's still, that is probably the most inspirational part of all Mm -hmm. of this. And, um, also the fact that they were both, uh, famous for works that they wrote as teens. It's, it's interesting to note just in like a spooky, ooky way of just that, the only thing Anne Frank really wanted, she even wrote about it in 1944, that her, quote, greatest wish was to be a journalist and later on a famous writer. <laughs> and so not only did she, by the way, um, succeed in that without having to have a, another life. I mean, she literally wrote the diary of Anne Frank. But right. So wildly famous, but she never got to be around to see mm-hmm. the popularity of her own writing. And I would argue that 
this time around with Barbara, it was under different circumstances. She got to be a famous writer on her terms. Right. First of all, it wasn't her literal fucking diary, which is like so intimate. But sure. also it wasn't about Nazis and tragedy. It was about things that she wanted the world to know her for. So it, I feel like that was, even though yep. she became a famous writer as Anne Frank from her diary, that was not the condition she wanted to be a famous writer for or in. Wow. So she finally got to have her second chance at that with Barbara. You know what makes me think about when you watch um, shows about ghost hunting or what have you, and they say, you know, sometimes spirits stick around because they have unfinished business. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder, you know, if if that's also the kind of thing you can accomplish in your soul's next life. Mm-hmm. What would I wonder why you would get stuck as a spirit here? Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you hear yeah. that in both ways. Like, oh, a spirit is stuck here because they have unresolved business, but then a person can be reincarnated to kind of complete their business. Their, yeah, I don't know. And it's just. I wonder if it's a karmic thing of like you. I mean, I always refer back to my beliefs growing up, which again, really doesn't fall under any category. I just listened to what my mom said and you know how, how religion works for most of us. I think as the a child. religion of Linda, <laughs> the religion of Linda, which to this day is still like the most sound, uh, belief system. I think I have, which is just that she always called it her bubble where mm-hmm. people, you, you go into, into this life as like a group of people that mean something to you, or maybe you get to select before you get here, which friends you're going to reunite with in this life. And maybe you take a break from some others and you see them in the next life or however it works, but whoever you like sign up to go into this life with, if they die before you, they stay as a ghost and like, you know, watch over you until everyone in the little like task group has Mm -hmm. died and then they all reincarnate together so that way it helps explain why there are ghosts and reincarnation Mm. where it's like you get to be a spirit and quote haunt the place until everyone in your your little group you came down and you're here temporarily until yeah i see that's interesting and then there's that other thought of you know, a spirit being here because they didn't go to the light and it's not because they were forced to be here, but it's because Mm -hmm. they're resisting moving on. And maybe that's part of it too. Like, yeah, they could go, they could move on and do this in the next life, but they're like stuck here. Well, also maybe if they're resisting it, I mean, imagine living like Anne Frank's life and like, maybe, you know, where you don't know if how much, how many similarities are going to be in the next one. Maybe you don't want to start another life. Maybe you're like this again. Yeah. You're like, I saw, like, this one was really rough. Like, um, let me just have a mm-hmm. fucking break in the void, you know? Yeah. That needs to <laughs> be on a shirt. Leave me in my void. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's so fascinating to be like, I mean, this whole conversation, I know it's, like, under some really dark undertones here, but the concept of reincarnation, I think we could just go on forever and It ever. really is fascinating. I And I'm, I'm now re-inclined to continue this book. I feel like I've kind of keep putting it aside because, you know life and sleep are important but um it's a really good book if you guys haven't read it uh i've watched the series too and that's really good and also erasing death by sam parney is one of my favorites and it's kind of the similar idea um, well but, wow so as for barbara she is currently 67 she has a son named eric at one point she lived in northern california i don't know if she still does again she was a champion horseback rider um She's obviously recognized as an author in her own right, but um, 
Also by many, including past life researchers and other Holocaust survivors, she wow. is recognized as being the true reincarnation of Anne Frank to a point where at lecture, she has been introduced as the reincarnation of Whoa. Anne Frank and as the author of the diary of Anne Frank. Oh my, wow. I was not expecting that. That's pretty wild. At, in, at one lecture, she ends up getting asked by someone. This is the only question I, I wrote down, but I thought it was such a good question. Um, at a lecture, Barbara was asked by someone if she carries any baggage about owing her past life the adulthood she never got to experience. Mm. And this is just a quote from Barbara that I wanted to end on where she said, Yes, because I know that I wanted to write books. I know that I wanted to be famous. I'm not famous, but I've written my books and I've pursued that. And I've gotten my message out to a lot of people about what's important in life and that you have to believe in the good forces. And that was very important to me as Anne Frank. And I have been able to succeed in that. Wow. And which I really ties it all up, I think, of like. Powerful. If Anne Frank wanted to come back for anything. Yeah. It was just to tell people to believe in, in the good. And this, I think it was like a 2010 interview. Um, but just to, just to remind you like how not so far away this history is, she said in the 2010 interview, which kind of jarred me, she said, it has sometimes struck my mind that if I hadn't died in my past life, I'd be 80 right now. Wow. And that was in a 2010 interview, just to let you know that Anne Frank could very well still be alive today if what happened didn't happen. So history is not as far away as you think, folks. That's I think that's another takeaway for sure. Um, and that's the story of Barbara Carlin. Wow. 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 I know you, we started really well where you gave me snacks and like I was in like a great mood. And then I was like, oh, it's Easter. Let's talk about the Holocaust. Clearly. I, right. Clearly, I subconsciously knew you'd need some sustenance, you know. Like, well, I feel bad because I knew you probably needed some and just didn't even think to do I it. I got my mini eggs. I'm good. Um, wow. And that was that was probably one of my favorites you've ever. You've ever uh, you know, what's so. You know what's so funny is last night I went to bed thinking, I think this is going to be one of Christine's favorite stories it I is. covered. It is. And it, I just, I'm going to think about that probably for the rest of my life. <laughs> like it wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, certainly was not a funny story or no. it wasn't, there was very little room for levity, uh, which is shocking because usually in my paranormal stories, I feel like we can find some levity yeah. in there. Obviously we don't want to joke too much about no. the Holocaust, but um it was I kind of like our conversation episodes though like I kind of like know. the ones where you can just kind of theorize and and think and wonder and I don't know speculate yeah I j I well I went to bed knowing like this probably won't be like one of our light-hearted stories but it certainly will be like one of the most fascinating ones well good for you I mean not good for you <laughs> <laughs> thank you finally wow, that was that's all um, I ever wanted I'm out I see you I'm no more need for this podcast. No more need for the friendship. What <laughs> good I meant for me. was good news for you is that I have another sad story. Okay. Not much room for levity. So yay. Yay. <laughs> My stories never really have room for levity is kind of a relative term, but I feel like my stories never really um, call for, for jokes anyway. So hmm. um, it's this, certainly harder with yours. Yeah. But. Th so this isn't news to you that. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's 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 another one we can speculate and theorize because sure. it is a missing persons case. Oh, OK. OK. Unsolved. I don't want to say I love missing persons cases, but I do enjoy um, 
cracking a mystery. I just wish it was a, a fake mystery. I know. know I, mean? I, w- I wish all of these were fake. I wish none of this ever happened. I always say that too. I'm like, if true crime ended tomorrow, I'd be thrilled, even though I'd be out of a job. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd be, I'd be honestly, I'm totally okay with it. I'd be like, totally worth losing my job over totally thousand percent uh which probably sounds like the most duh statement ever but i assure you there are people i know who don't feel that way so yeah to, okay. yeah, to be fair we don't enjoy talking about true crime uh in the way that some people might think like we we like talking about it as you know as much as the next person but we're not craving for there to be a new serial killer you know what i mean like no no we're no. good to never be able to cover a a topical that's the story. dream that's the dream to get all of these solved and move on yes agreed explore new possibilities pleasure zones and find your vibe at funlove.com Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. There was everything, I'm telling you, from sexy perfumes to toys to vibrators to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So this is the story of Michaela Bali. Okay. Have Have you heard of her? No. All right, so we're in am I Canada. Am I, like, one of the odd people out for not knowing that name? I doubt it. Okay. I don't think so. Um, so 16-year-old Michaela Bali was said to have last been seen between 1 p.m. and 1.45 p.m. at the UFC bus depot in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, Canada, Ooh. on April 12, 2016. She was seen ordering lunch at the Trail Stop restaurant attached to the bus depot. Ever since, no one has heard from her. There is no CCTV footage of her getting on a bus. She hasn't posted anything on social on social media. Her bank account doesn't show evidence of activity, and she can't have gone too far because her passport was left at home. Whoa, so she just fell off the earth. Just vanished. Uh, it's been five years now since her disappearance. Uh, I guess now 2016. Six years. Six years. My math is bad. It's been six years since her disappearance, and uh, as outlined by the town's local newspaper, the Regina Leader Post, despite the hundreds of tips, 6,000 posters across Canada and the U.S., and at one point a $50,000 reward, Michaela has not come home safe. Mm. So as I tell the story, um, you know, like we were saying, the dream is to be able to 
find some answers. And if you do happen to have any information, um, I'm going to repeat this at the end, but you can e- email miraclemichaela at gmail.com uh, or call the following number, 1-306-641-9436. Um, we're going to repeat the information at the end and I'll give you some more details, but just wanted to say that up top just in case. Okay, let's crack into it. Um, yeah, hang on. Well, let's hang on. Crack. Crack into it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry, I've been looking at them for a while, but um, I just needed a taste, so. I should have waited to crack into my little bubbly, but mm. too late. We're having a good time. Okay. So, Michaela Margaret Kim Niebergall was born July 2nd, 1999 in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. She was raised by her mother, a consultant at the Ministry of Social Services named Paula Marie, and grew up with her mom, her aunt, her maternal grandmother, and two younger siblings. For whatever reason, we don't know why, but in 2015, Michaela, her mother, and their siblings and her siblings changed their last names to Bali, B-A-L-I. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So Michaela was known to be a pretty shy, quiet girl. Uh, her mom once said she wasn't a disobedient kid at all. She made being a parent super easy. It's probably why I have two more children, Aww. which is very sweet. Um, I saw a TikTok recently that was like, hey, uh, as the oldest, you shouldn't feel special because your parents had like you weren't enough for your parents and the top comment was like, <laughs> yeah, but I'm the only reason they wanted more. Like, <laughs> you know, and I was like, that's a good point <laughs> well i i've also i see all the tiktoks where they say like good luck because if your first one was amazing your second one's going to be a little monster so uh i do want to heavily remind you of that the next time you look at leona and you're like i could do that again i, I just want to be like you're gonna maybe i don't know maybe they not trick enjoy it. yeah those little monsters someone's someone's gonna be tricky eventually if you have enough of them the one of them's gonna get you and you're gonna be one like of why did i i should have stopped while i was ahead what happened listen to funkle m i and know now i have a scorpio on my hand oh my god the day christine (laughs) christine i'm actually gonna be the terror is the thing you'll have just manifested me to be the monster what a twist (laughs) unsurprising um so she was a high school junior at sacred heart high school she was part of the drama club and she was also a talented musician um thanks to michaela the house would be full of according to her aunt Rhonda, such beautiful violin and piano Uh, As her mom, Paula, continues, she was musical and she just got into drama in high school, so music was kind of a way for her to step out of her shyness. But yeah, really a very typical girl. Probably one of the most interesting things about Michaela is she's so average, very sweet, shy, introverted, very dedicated to her family, and certainly loved her siblings. She has a younger brother and sister who are incredibly important to her. And I really like that line because, you know, you think like, oh, average, that's a negative thing, but I feel I. I feel the same way. I feel like it's to let you know that, like, this was completely unexpected. She wouldn't just, mm-hmm. like, fly off the handle and, and and leave. Like, this is super out of character. Like She loved her family. She just loved to be home. She wasn't an common, adventure a common, seeker. A common kid. Yeah. She wasn't a thrill seeker. I feel like that's just a really um, a powerful thing. What does Michael Scott say? Uh, my mom always said... Uh, it's great to be average. That's why God made so many of us or something. Or, I forget <laughs> the line, but. <laughs> uh, okay. So Michaela had a good group of friends. One of them named Madison remembers Michaela to be caring, loved music, was very conscious about what her needs and her friends needs were. 
So one of uh, the greatest stories, in my opinion, is she wanted to surprise her Aunt Rhonda, so she got an accordion and learned how to play Happy Birthday on the accordion. Uh, she'd never played it before, but she learned how to play it to surprise her aunt on her birthday, which I just thought was really cute. Very sweet. And then Shelby Natick, one of Michaela's friends, met Michaela on their third day of ninth grade. Uh, right away, Michaela kind of welcomed Shelby into the fold. Uh, Shelby said, Michaela came up to me, poked me on the shoulder and was like, hey, come sit with us. So we became like a big group of 10 of us. Uh, so she was very just warm and welcoming, um, very open. And according to CBC News, she told her friends she wanted to be a teacher or a vet because she loved children and animals. She was a big fan of the Hunger Games series even before everyone else knew about it. So before huh. it was cool. Trendsetter. Trendsetter. Not a common kid last I checked. <laughs> yeah, wait a second. <laughs> she liked fantasy video games like League of Legends. She had a dog named Angel. She liked to train the dog to do tricks. She. This is kind of a fun fact. She photographed wildlife and landscapes and then would submit the pictures to be featured in tv weather reports shut up she's literally not at all average so interesting wow that's so fun i feel like if like i met her and that was something she said to me that would be the thing i 100 was hooked on i'd be like tell me everything you would hyper fixate on that alone yes 100 yeah (laughs) i would fixate i would hyper fixate on the following statement which is the last bit here which says her mom told police she loved to play man tracker do you know about this? No, but <laughs> I have a lot of ideas of what that could be. What is Man Tracker? Okay, apparently it's an extreme hide-and-seek reality show. And I, of course, was like, I must look into this because I've never heard of this show. Um, but she liked to play this game with her brother Joshua and sister Eliora. So, of course, I went and looked up what Man Tracker is. It's a Canadian reality. This is according to Wikipedia. Man Tracker is a Canadian reality television series which premiered in Canada in April 2006. The episodes feature Terry Grant, an expert tracker called the Man Tracker, who pursues two individuals in the remote Canadian or American wilderness. The pursued, referred to as prey, must elude capture while attempting to reach a finish line within 36 hours. Oh, shit. That's terrifying. <laughs> I appreciate that she loved the thrill. I feel like she probably loved the drama of the show. I, I would have been open to her being like, let me just show you a clip on YouTube real quick because it's. I would probably watch that show, but I would be way too scared to participate in the show. I think. Oh no! No way! No way would I participate? I'd be like, that is all you, my friend. That's terrifying. Um, but it sounds fascinating. I'm kind of like interested. I think it's on Discovery now. I it said online where it was. Uh, streaming so maybe we'll watch it she sounds like just like an all-around just like dope person which right, like, like i'm sure that's interesting what, down to earth i'm sure that's what i mean most if not all people who like have had their life taken early or went missing or something horrible happened to them i'm sure they were all dope people in their own right but i do appreciate that this isn't just a, a classic like she lit up a room lit up a room right exactly this is and like I, I feel like i i know a little more about the type of person she was i feel more uh, re- she feels relatable which is to- not totally. that there's more or less you know, i don't know what i'm saying but no but i agree because like you know with she lit up a room obviously you know it's a cliche but it, it makes sense but for for some people but i like how honest her mom was of like Oh, she just, she was a homebody. She liked to be with her brother and sister and play silly games. Like she was into weird shit. Yeah, like she's we into all weird are. shit. She wasn't like the type to you know with her 
big smile, walk into a room and be the life of the party. Like I, right. I just kind of like the honesty there. And I feel like you're right. It makes her more easily connected. I don't know. Or easy to relate to. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so at lunchtime on April 11th, a day before Michaela went missing, she had hopped into a car with Shelby and her other friend, Oksana Yakachuk, to grab lunch at a fast food restaurant. So Shelby and Oksana distinctly remember, and this is the day before Michaela disappeared, remember Michaela speaking about going somewhere like Moose Jaw, Prince Albert, or Saskatoon with her family. Okay. At that lunch, Michaela had also briefly spoken about a boy called Josh, but when Shelby asked for more information, Michaela didn't reveal much and um like i said michaela was known to be kind of quiet and shy when it came to gossip apparently she would just sit in the corner and listen to everyone else's gossip and like occasionally put in her two cents but she was not the type to like bring the drama to the table Mm -hmm. so even though she mentioned a boy named josh uh they didn't really pull much else out of her unfortunately okay So Josh was not the only kind of romantic relation Michaela had recently mentioned. Earlier that week, a friend called Amy Lang said that Michaela had been speaking about meeting with someone named Christopher. So at that lunch, Michaela had also spoken out of spoken about moving out of Yorkton to somewhere like Saskatoon because it had more opportunities than their town of Yorkton, uh, which she described as being full of, quote, old lady closed doors. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) So she was kind of eyeing, like, other uh, other parts unknown to move to. Sure. Um, Michaela's friends never thought she was really serious about it. It was just kind of like how a high schooler's like, oh, I dream of moving here or there. or I'm going to go to New York one day. Yeah, yeah. out of this small town, you know, making fun of their own hometown. This one horse town. <laughs> this, one ho- <laughs> this one old lady clothes shop this, town. This town ain't big enough for me and that old lady in her clothes. All those moo-moos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So after the lunch, the girls returned to school where Michaela had her Christian ethics class. How fun. Did they listen to Leona Happy Lewis? Easter. Yes, they did. <laughs> they analyzed the lyrics about the veins, all that good stuff. <laughs> Notably, her teacher noticed that Michaela didn't seem quite herself during that lesson. She seemed a bit down. Um, and that's always kind of hard because I feel like it's also easy to see that in hindsight almost. And she could have just been having a bad day or something. You She's don't know. in Christian ethics class. I would be down too. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. I'm certainly I not... Took- spirited so. i'm certainly not up yeah i took that class i didn't trust me i was not in a great mood um anyway so after school was over from 4 35 into the evening michaela sent a string of text messages so this is kind of the order of events here okay the first text was to her friend oksana michaela asked if she could give her a lift to the bank the following day and that it was really important that she get a ride between 5.30 and 6, Michaela called TD Bank customer service three times. During the exchange, she checked her account balance and transferred $25. The conversation about money um, is important to the case because, I mean, we'll see later why money plays into this. But it's worth mentioning that fairly recently, Michaela had told Oksana that she had $5,000 in her bank account. But later, when police looked through her bank accounts, it seemed she had been lying and she had nowhere near $5,000 at any point in her bank account. So a little bit odd. Huh. Okay. From 8.50 p.m. until 9.30, Michaela texted one of her ex-boyfriends, who remains anonymous in the news reports. The ex-boyfriend told police that she had been messaging him about being unhappy and wanting to go to Regina. 
She then messaged Amy Lang saying she needed help, but when Amy asked why, Michaela didn't respond. She also messaged Shelby something about a boy and about feeling so bad for someone that she was crying. Oh. So we don't have the verbatim text messages of this, um, but we do have the gist, if you will, of all these messages. So that's kind of the gist of what was sent, not verbatim, but that's kind of the order of events um and I, oh i also wanted to shout out um voices of justice podcast which is hosted by hosted by sarah turney um, oh i love sarah turney yeah she's great and just such a cool uh just a cool powerful awesome badass woman and um i have been meaning to listen to her podcast for ages finally listened to a few episodes and uh listened to her episode on michaela and it was just really well done so um unsurprisingly really well done but so i wanted to give that a quick shout out i also listened to an episode of dark poutine uh one of my favorite true crime canadian shows yep um and so anyway just a little little mini shout out here but april 12 2016 has started out the same as any morning this would be the next day Her mother, Paula, remembers, we kind of do our hair and makeup together and just chat about our day. There wasn't anything that stood out in my mind or in hindsight that anything was out of the ordinary. Mm. But at 6.41 a.m., Michaela texted her friend Oksana again saying, can you take me to the bank? Oksana passed on the offer, later explaining, I said the bank doesn't open till 8 or something and she texted at like 7 o'clock. So how can I take her to the bank? To this day, Oksana feels that despite it being Michaela's decision, I'm kind of kicking myself over it. I feel like I just should have followed her and I should have just taken her to the bank. Well, I mean, I well, I understand the guilt, but it's always such a weird mix up in my head of what I would do. I mean, obviously, I would feel guilty no matter what, but I feel like in times like that, I'd be like, oh, she wasn't showing any signs. She clearly didn't want people to know. So like, I can't fault myself for not knowing if she was being sneaky, but it's also like, but, but then you question yourself of like, I should have known her. I thought I knew her better that I would have picked up on that. Or, or maybe she's having, I mean, maybe she wasn't being sneaky. Maybe there was something else going on. We don't know about. And and, I could almost assure you if someone texted me at 641 AM and said, can you take me to the bank? And the bank wasn't even open that I would say, no, (laughs) If you texted me to do anything at six o'clock, I'd be like, no. And and so I I don't fault this high schooler who still feels guilty for not taking her friend to the bank and maybe thinks that that could have stopped whatever happened. And honestly, like, let's say that person decided to, like, send a second text and be like, isn't the bank, like, not even open right now? Right. Like, I'm I have a personal feeling not knowing either of them that, like that maybe some excuse would have come up of like, oh yeah, but blah, 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 or blah, 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 blah. Like, I I think no matter what the answer to the what ifs are, that the answer would fall into the category of she would have had an excuse or there would have been a reason or something. If she didn't want you to know, you wouldn't have found out or. Yeah. Or, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say she was being sneaky and intentional to trick everybody but maybe there was maybe she was being threatened and felt like she couldn't i don't know i don't know what's that the scenarios are it's it's so hard i think in hindsight and and feeling like oh if i'd only done this maybe the whole trajectory would have changed and you know but again like maybe not like you're saying maybe not or maybe uh like how she asked her friend for help and her friend said what do you need and she didn't respond you know maybe it would have been like that where you just never even got around to it like you there wasn't you couldn't have 
stood a chance for all you no, know. No, yeah, you don't know. Yeah. And so I think that's probably a hard thing to have to live with. Um, and I don't fault her for that guilt, but also I don't fault her for not taking her friend to the bank before school. I'd be like, yeah, no way true. I barely make it to school on time as it is. So Michaela's grandmother, Margaret, said she dropped Michaela off at school, Sacred Heart, between 8.10 and 8.20 a.m. The school Wi-Fi shows that Michaela had signed on at about 8.08 a.m. And um, uh, Sarah Turney made a good point of, you know, maybe it was like an automatic connection. Like when you pull up to the school, your phone connects or your, mm. your computer connects or what have you. Um, so it it has been proven that she signed on to school Wi-Fi at 8.08 a.m. At 8.21 a.m., Michaela put a binder inside her locker. Uh, it was just a binder for school. You know, police found nothing suspicious in it. Uh, but then five minutes later, she left the school via the back entrance. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the ex-boyfriend uh, mentioned earlier texted Michaela because she didn't show up for class, the class they had together. And she did reply to that text, but we don't know what she said. Michaela left school. And this is where things get pretty wild. Like this is where we follow her kind of all day or all morning. Mm-hmm and nobody can quite figure out what's going on so Michaela left school and headed into town and were able to follow her movements by cctv cameras she was first spotted at the super c convenience stores before being then spotted on the phone uh approaching a td bank at 8 51 a.m hmm. in the police investigation into the case they tried to track down who she had been speaking to via her phone's account However, uh, it turns out she had been contacting people through uh, social media apps, so either Facebook or Kick or WhatsApp, and so those are a lot harder to subpoena the records. Oh, um, okay. And they're they're. I known feel like that's something you totally knew, and I'm learning for the first time. Oh well, fun fact. Um, and they're much harder to subpoena because they're like private. It's not just like a phone company; you can pull the records. Um, a lot of them are either private apps, and they're known for that. Um, and they're known for like keeping your information secure. And so it took approximately ten months for them to pull that information. And and she was actually calling people like you can call people through whatsapp kind of like yeah. internet calling and so she was doing that which made it harder to figure out who she was on the phone with um a teller oh. at the bank opened the shutters for michaela at 8 55 a.m so michaela hung up the phone call she was on and proceeded to withdraw 55 dollars from her account she then headed east toward her next stop which was terry's pawn and bargain store so like a pawn shop hmm she arrived at 9 a.m. and she had two silver rings and she asked the owner of the pawn shop, Terry Hedden, uh, if they were worth anything. And according to Terry, silver values really low, so it just wasn't enough value in the ring to even bother making an offer on it. She was quiet, didn't seem to be in any distress or anything. So, uh, sorry, I just got a text from Blaze. He's at the pediatrician saying... Leona's head circumference is now 95 percentile. Yeah, well. It was 93rd sorry, percentile that's the, at the that's last appointment. the least shocking thing you've told me all day. So, <laughs> Oh, my God. I was that like, kid maybe has it'll got be... the biggest melon head I've ever seen in my life. I was like, maybe it'll be more average this time. No, it got, it got even higher percentile. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just saw that, like, flash above my screen. One day it'll stop growing. You'll see. <laughs> I hope so. Maybe not. I don't know. She might just fall over from her, her neck, just top-heavy. brain. I don't know how she holds it up. <laughs> um, anyway, so 
basically the pawn shop uh terry who owns a pawn shop was like there's no value to these rings that was worth making an offer on i also heard in the dark poutine episode that you had to be 18 to pawn something and she wasn't 18 anyway um i also heard in the dark poutine episode that teenagers were apparently known to go to like a pawn shop like this to look for you know some cheap technology or things that they might want to pick up um so another theory is like maybe she was also looking for i don't know a second cell phone or who who knows Mm. like maybe she was there looking for something but it is um determined that she was trying to sell her rings and she did not accomplish that so Michaela is next spotted around 9.15 a.m. entering a combination Tim Hortons and Wendy's. Oh, okay. I didn't know they had like a collab situation. Fun fact, your newest collab, influencer trend. Well, well, I know there's like the Taco Bell KFC collab. I didn't know that Wendy's and Tim Hortons pizza had Bell, a collab. Pizza, pizza Bell. <laughs> there's also a, what's pizza the other Hut, collab? Taco Bell. Pizza Hut Taco Bell and Fredericksburg we had a Long John Silvers and A&W oh that was a unique one that's fun yeah what a twist anyway trying to find levity wherever I I know that's the thing it's like uh, my my favorite head is huge and I like Long John Silvers I used to get fish sticks and root beer floats at the same time (laughs) yum (laughs) you never know what you'll learn on this podcast okay (laughs) all useful information So she goes to this combo, Tim Horton Wendy's, and she buys a hot drink using cash, because we can see this on camera, and she sits at a booth facing away from the counter and the entrance. For the next 13 minutes, she sits scrolling on her phone and occasionally looking toward the entrance with what seems to be a pretty full backpack next to her. Now, this is significant because, as her friends will attest, Michaela usually took a purse to school, not a backpack. Hmm. So it would be odd that she had a backpack full of stuff. And it's not packed to the brim, but it is like, it looks heavy. I feel like she, I mean, I don't know anything yet, but I feel like she was being threatened by somebody. You think? Like, well. But then why I would you be out and about, you know, like in public? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think I also just have a big fear of like, you know, I don't want to cast blame on something I, on someone that when I don't know the whole story, but it feels like, I don't know. I feel like no how old was she 16 mm-hmm. i feel like either she either it's complete dumb luck that she's like ctv isn't catching her at certain points or she knows to face away from the camera or things like that or she's like a, an evil genius at 16 or maybe she was being threatened by someone older who told her what to do oh she's or, not facing away from the camera we can actually see her the whole time oh um, i thought you said she was facing away with she's the facing away from the that. door of the building so oh, we can okay. we can kind of watch her and the only reason that's relevant is because you can see she keeps checking the door to see presumably like she's meeting someone um so she keeps, we we at least think she's in cahoots with another person we like, feel safe saying that I would say because she keeps checking her phone. She's on the phone with someone. We don't know who. She keeps checking the door, the entrance to the cafe. So it, it seems like there's someone involved um, okay. who okay. isn't a friend or who someone that we, we have know of. Identify. Yeah. Exactly. Someone we don't know of. Um, so she keeps looking for the entrance. She has this big, heavy backpack, even though she usually takes up hers to school. And on CBC's News Interactive's website, you can actually watch the footage of Michaela at the Tim Hortons. Um, I always find it really, I've watched the footage and I always find it really um, just kind of chilling to watch just people's last 
known whereabouts you know it's just there's something kind of deeply unsettling about it um but you can watch her uh just be on her phone um and this has led to theories uh regarding the backpack you know one theory of that is she was looking to leave town um either for a trip or for good who knows but yeah why would you take a backpack with you if you were usually just needed your purse um and on the CCTV footage that you can watch, you can see her taking her phone apart and putting it back together again. And what in the world? Wow, she's really, this is, I don't know what to think of this. It's mysterious. And, you know, there are a couple things, a couple thoughts I had, and then um, Sarah made some good points too, which a couple thoughts I had were, you know, replacing a SIM card. This is 2016 too, so I don't know, you know, what kind of phone she would have had six years ago, but... Um, you can replace a SIM card. That's a possibility. Um, another one that Sarah mentioned is uh, she was like, you know, that feeling when you're like, is my phone broken? I'm not getting a message. You turn it off and turn it on again to see if mm. like messages come through. Maybe she took the battery out, put it back in and was hoping like the messages she was waiting for would come yeah. through. Something like that. Maybe she was just and my other thought was maybe she was just fidgeting like Sure. You know, I fidget all the time. Maybe the case was coming off. Maybe who knows? Um, but so nobody really knows why she took it apart or if that means anything. But you can see her doing that at one point. Then she leaves the Tim Hortons at 9.23 a.m. And what's strange about this is that on the TV footage, you can see her leave through the front exit before turning around, going back inside and exiting through the back exit and going north. Just kind of odd. So weird. I like, I really don't want to say a missing person. Like I, I I really do. I don't want to make any claims to like, Oh, she wanted this, but it does sound very uh, like, like a lot of strategy feels like it is being involved in this. It sounds like she had a plan. We just don't know what the plan. I don't know if the plan was, uh, under duress or if it was something she wanted or like i i'm just so who knows if the plan went wrong um yeah yeah it feels like she uh, either she was directed to do this stuff or really just is so uh, calculating in some way and not meant i feel like calculating has like a a bad tone to it but i will say though even though it seems like these are all very intentional moves um as we go on it kind of starts it feels a little chaotic like she didn't really know because, like, Got um, spoiler alert, she goes back to school, then she goes back to Tim Hortons. Like, it seems oh, okay. a little bit like this isn't as calculated. Like, she went to the pawn shop but didn't successfully sell her rings. Like, I in, think... In which case, I'm I'm going to ask, do we find out at any point if there was any maybe underlying mental illness that... Um, no, there was nothing that we have any hmm. proof of. She didn't have... Uh, well, uh, well, okay. Uh, perhaps a little bit. But okay. in a way that maybe isn't directly related to this well oh okay i'll get there i don't want to misquote it so i don't want to throw it out yet but i will get there yeah okay so next michaela reappears on cctv camera at a home hardware store at 9 42 a.m um she heads back to the tim hortons at this point which she re-enters at 9 49 a.m and she had left at 9 23 Okay. So 26 minutes later, she's back. Uh, She's on the phone again, but police were not able to find records of this call or what app she called on. And we have no idea who she was on the phone with. Wow. Very frustrating, I'm sure. Uh, This time at Tim Hortons, she sits in a different booth and faces the front door window. She stays here for another 10 minutes, scrolling through her phone, occasionally talking to someone on her phone. Then she puts on her headphones at 10.03 a.m. And at 10.12, she texts her friend Shelby hey, I need help. 
Ooh. And then follows it up about 10 minutes later. I think it was 10 or 20 minutes later with the text. Never mind. I figured it out. So Shelby actually left her phone at home that day. And oh. uh, I'm almost comforted for Shelby that uh, she sent the follow up of never mind because I feel like it would be so alarming oh, yeah. to just see I need help and then never receive you know what I mean and then not know what happened I feel like that alone could have completely twisted the narrative absolutely if it weren't for that secondary text that follow-up yeah I agree. everyone would think she was in danger something like really ominous so she followed that up by she didn't get a response from Shelby then followed that up by never mind I figured it out she leaves at 10.25 a.m. via the front exit before returning within two minutes and sitting down at the same booth, still on the phone. Hmm. Then at 10.43, she gets off the phone and approaches an older lady sitting at a nearby table. She sits opposite the, woman, uh, opposite the woman. They chat for about two minutes, and then Michaela returns to her booth to check her phone, pick up her backpack, and leave via the front entrance. Now, they were able to find the woman who spoke with Michaela that day and she did come forward to police and explain that Michaela had asked for help renting a hotel room and the woman wasn't sure if Michaela needed money to rent a hotel room or if she just needed someone who was 18 Uh to rent the hotel room but the woman said she was not comfortable with this and she said no and so Michaela just went back to her table so we don't know what that means yeah um, but it's another big clue also so awkward to just like shamefully have to walk back and now sit in a yeah. room with the person. I feel like, I feel like I would have, if I got told no, I would have just never gone back to that Tim Hortons in my entire life. <laughs> I would have like, probably set it on fire and run away and been like, <laughs> no, I know. And, um, and that's another thing that she's described as like shy and keeps to herself. And so the fact that you would approach a stranger and ask for help getting a hotel room seems like quite a bold move, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so it makes me feel like this it was very wanted. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I just keep getting hesitant about, you know, I don't know who to place blame on, if anyone. And so I don't, I don't really know. And I haven't given you the say, full but... story, which isn't, yeah, so it's hard to, it's hard to say. So we're at the Tim Hortons and Michaela is leaving the cafe and she texts her friend Shelby saying, I'll see you at lunch. Mm, okay. So by 1149 a.m., Michaela had returned to her high school and met with two of her friends. Oh, I really did think that the Tim Hortons was the last place we were it, ever right? going to see it, her. Yeah, It felt like that was the end of it. And then all of a sudden she's like, nope, back at school. Uh, which kind of weird that you would leave your school and then come back in the middle of the day. But whatever. Whatever. So she met with her friends Allie Clarkson and Juanique Buckle. And she told them that she was going to get a bus to Regina for a vacation. And from police conversations with Allie and Juanique, they thought that Michaela could have maybe had two phones on her. So one of the thoughts is they, from what we can tell, they believe she had two cell phones on her. Oh, okay. Which is very telling because we don't know what happened on the other one. Do you know what I mean? Like one of them could have been the one she was using to contact somebody else um especially if it was one of those apps that didn't have that are like more secretive i hadn't thought about that before but now that you've said it it makes kind of perfect sense because so far we have no record of her talking to anybody else but it seems like i don't know i feel like she didn't do this alone or there's somebody else involved because she's always on the phone or she's looking at the door like i mean she's doing something with someone we just yeah we don't know who it is so it could have been on this mystery phone okay 
So 13 minutes later at 12.02 p.m., Michaela leaves again via the school doors. And there's a there's an image of her leaving the school. And this would be the last confirmed sighting ever of Michaela Bali. Okay. You can see her exiting the school and disappearing out of frame to the left, which, again, is just kind of dark and sinister if you're thinking she was never seen again. Like, you just see her walk out of frame, and it's just it just feels so sad because that's really yeah. the last time she's been caught on camera. I can't imagine being, like, her parents or her friends. Yeah. Like, you know, they've probably watched that footage so many times. A hundred times. Yeah, exactly. So it got to 3.40 p.m., and Michaela's grandmother, Margaret, who was at school in the car park getting ready to pick her up, started to get worried when Michaela hadn't come out of school. And it was getting so late that Michaela had missed her 4 p.m. violin rehearsal, which was really out of character. She apparently had a recital coming up, uh, according to her mother, Paula, and so and violin was really important to her, and it was not like her to just skip uh, a music lesson. See, that also makes me think that either someone else is involved or something sinister is going on. Because if you wanted to, like, get out of town and, like, kind of get some, like, get ahead of everybody, then you wouldn't miss something as crucial that would get people suspicious. Like, I, I feel like if you, if it was 3 o'clock when you left or whatever and now you're missing your recital in an hour, like, just go to the recital and then leave yeah it's it feels weird or or maybe she was planning to go for a few hours like leave the day for a few hours and come back mm. for the recital or for the rehearsal do you know what i mean like maybe she's like oh i'm oh, just yeah. going to meet someone for the afternoon and then had plans to come back so either way it's not a good sign that she missed it um and apparently like this i think this to me was extremely telling i don't know if it's telling to other people but apparently according to her mom the night before she had been practicing for this rehearsal and for this recital so like oh shit. she okay. had the intention of performing as far as i am concerned if you're trust me i played piano for many years and practicing piano was the last thing i wanted to do on any given day <laughs> and i'm no you know talented musician like michaela but I feel like you wouldn't be practicing the night before if you weren't intending to be there. Do you know what I mean? So no matter what the story is, in my mind at this point, it is that she wanted to or maybe she never planned on leaving. I mean, she's already she's acting weird. So I feel like something, it's easy to right, prime. Something was planned. It's easy to prime myself to think that like she was planning on leaving anyway or getting right. out of town or was... Or it could have been like she met someone online and planned on just going on a date and then they took Some, her away or something. Something so went that, wrong. So no matter what happened or no matter what the story is, are we on the same page at this point that now it feels like something against her own choices happened? Yeah, I think I totally agree. I think as far as my gut instinct goes, it seems like even if she had something planned, which it seems like she did, it didn't go the way she intended. Um, right. Or, I mean, I guess another possibility could be that she was planning to go to the recital in a few days or a few weeks or whatever, but maybe knew she would miss this one practice. Like, maybe mm. she planned to come back in a few days. But either way, it seemed like she had plans to be involved in this recital. So it's a little or scary. It could, have, it could have been, like, really well thought out where she just tricked everyone and she yeah, was practicing. That's possible. And she just really liked to play violin and was like, I'm just yeah. going to keep, maybe, yeah. maybe. So Paula remembers the life changing heart stopping moment when Margaret, Michaela's grandmother showed up at her work. Oh, okay. I know. Wow. I know. Paula says my mom has never come to my workplace. So I knew something was wrong. 
Immediately, Paula went to the school and says, to be frankly honest, I was literally running around the school looking under school buses, screaming her name. It was very Whoa. traumatic. And this oh my God. gives me goose cam every time because it it just shows like how panic stricken they were. Oh, my God. According to Global News, Paula says she realized Michaela wasn't making her own decisions when she didn't take money from the emergency slush fund that Paula has in the house. So she explained, as a single mom, I always have a slush fund in the house, a cash fund, and Michaela had access to that. I remember going down the stairs and thinking that if she ran away, that money is going to be gone. And it was all there. And I think that was one of the pivotal moments in my life where you realize that this wasn't a teenager doing something senseless. So well, that's a that's a great point, but also like just gut wrenching that like it was clarity yeah. for her that her kid might be in danger. Or that, probably right. was. I totally agree that like maybe this was out of her hands. Um, Michaela didn't respond to any texts or calls. So Paula reported her missing just before 8 p.m. And Michaela's aunt Rhonda remembers it was the most devastating day of my life. I've never known anything to be as devastating as that. Your world just stops. It's quiet. The whole house just died. Everything was quiet, serene. It was just, your life is over. You just don't have, everything is gone. Everybody is so heartbroken and you don't have a funeral to plan like if someone was dead. It's not like that. You have nothing. They've just vanished. It's beyond heartbreak. It's beyond what anyone could ever imagine. So painful. Hmm. So this just fucking blows like her family is hit hard this is not something i mean i know we addressed this early on but this is not something in her character in michaela's character this had never happened before so they don't have the solace of you know maybe she's with a friend and she's just right like joyriding no like she seemed to just vanish off the face of the planet and by 7 a.m the following day michaela's phone had been switched off it was confirmed or died i guess but it, it was no longer active. Mm. Oh so RCMP... Sorry, I'm like, it's just in like, I can't imagine the headspace. No, it's, it's, uh, it's tragic. So RCMP Corporal Kim Stewart began working on the case from April 13th and started by contacting all the banks, phone companies, uh, interviewing Michaela's friends, and launching a social media campaign for tips. There was a lot of information coming in, and Corporal Stewart remembers one of our members had a great big timeline that he had put down the hallway. It went all the way down, just trying to keep it all straight because we wanted as much information as possible. So, I mean, think about, like, the timeline. It took us two days to just go through every step of the way. And so they had all that with images, CCTV, like, you know, texted this person, texted that person, and it went all the way down the hall at the police station so that they could kind of follow her steps well thank god that they at least had like like some detectives who cared and were trying because i feel like this is different than a lot of other stories where like what was the last one where there was a serial killer and multiple people literally went to the police and said like this is the person this is his address and he tried to kill me and they're like "Mm, no so like yeah yeah at least something like this like i mean it's heartening yeah it's um encouraging a little bit to know that there are teams of people out there who are trying their best like building literal timelines on their halls in their hallways it sounds like out of a tv show i mean you're right at the very least they took this seriously because a lot of times especially with missing person or with runaways they call you know teens who are missing are just listed as runaways and i i guess maybe the fact that she had this kind of docile uh background maybe help them decide this isn't a runaway but there is always that kind of 
icky thing of when a teen goes missing and they're like, oh, they just ran away and won't take it seriously. And so it is refreshing to at least see that they're (laughs) taking this a little bit seriously. Yeah. Um, So as days went by, officers apparently, quote, didn't feel good about the fact that there was no activity happening on Michaela's phone. And on the Friday after Michaela disappeared, a petite blonde was spotted running from her boyfriend at the local bus station. This ended up being a false lead. It was not Michaela. Uh, It got three weeks past Michaela's disappearance and officers were still working through hours of surveillance videos to try and piece this puzzle together. They were also still trying to work through the social media apps. And her friends say that Michaela's predominant lines of communication were Instagram, Snapchat, and possibly an anonymous app called Kik, K-I-K. Yeah. Yeah. So according to Metro UK, Kick is a free instant messaging mobile app. So if you guys don't know what it is, its special feature is the fact that it preserves the person's anonymity and users register using a name and username without registering their telephone number. Uh, this apparently, this app was branded as unsafe when it received one out of seven points on the Electronic Frontier Foundation's secure messaging scorecard. Wow. I remember there being a time period where I feel like the generation under us was using Kick. I remember hearing about it a lot and not understanding what its purpose was i vaguely remember it being something in high school but yeah apparently this is another tragedy it's a different case but it's thought that 13 year old nicole lovell is likely to have met her murderer virginia tech student david eisenhower via kick in 2016 so it definitely has some like a sorted backstory um and apparently is not necessarily the safest way to be communicating especially because it's anonymous yeah wow Sergeant Donna Zawazlak Zawazlak said police were finding it tricky to have to go through U.S. legal processes, because remember, we're in Canada, uh, to get information protected by social media companies that were under U.S. privacy laws. So uh, Sergeant Donna commented, that is something as investigators we are dealing with more and more. People are constantly active on Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram. There's tons of apps out there that people can access and communicate with. Yeah. And it was also discovered that Michaela had multiple Instagram accounts. So Interesting. Wow, something is going on, but I just don't know what it is. Well, I guess it's fair. Like, I mean, we have multiple Instagram accounts. I mean, not personal ones, I guess. But, like, you know, pe- teens have multiple accounts. Like, That's true. You know? So at first I was like, oh, that's not that weird. But it like does a, Like a Finsta. They have those, right? Where it's like a fake fake insta or something so i don't no, know that what makes it means sense. but yeah they have one that's like a private a more private one than a more public one you know the teens these days but yeah so it's it's shadier than that though like you had the right instinct of something was going on because one account contained a bunch of pictures of her with school friends her family like standard instagram selfies and it had not been used since her disappearance The other account, which was also under her name and had hundreds of followers, had zero photos, but, you know, maybe they'd been deleted or archived. But most creepily under the bio, like the about me section, it just read goodbye. (gasps) Isn't that spooky? That's so weird. And also, like, I just feel for this mother, like, who, like, doesn't know what's going on. She's so confused. She's so scared. Is her kid in danger? And then... At the same time, there's all these signs that imply, like, maybe I'm not in danger. Maybe I chose this. But then, yes. like, why wouldn't you Ugh. let her at least know you're safe and okay? And like, Yep. The conflict there must be so devastating. Like, you just want answers at the like, very least. Either you're in physical danger and I, there's nothing I can do about it as your mother. Or you chose to do this and leave me in, like, this, like, horrible 
mental state. Yeah. So like and, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just mm. it's neither neither is good, obviously, and it's just no answers. Imagine. No answers. Michaela is known amongst her friends to chat with multiple people she didn't know across Canada and the U.S. Uh, her friend Shelby commented, I know she talked to like at least four guys that she told us of. They weren't from here. They were from the States or Manitoba, wherever else. And in one of her Instagram posts dated March 1st, 2016, she posted a screenshot of her Snapchat profile along with the caption, looking for Snapchat friends because I have none in real life. Add me. Please don't be a greasy fuck and send me gross ass nudes just looking for a friend. And as much as she put that kind of warning, that caveat, I feel like that is the prime post someone who's looking to be a predator can pick yeah. up on and say, aha. Well, I aha, you're a teenager who is admitting that she is alone and doesn't have anyone that she'd be talking to if I were to do something. Actively or, seeking companionship. Like, yeah. And like you're saying, you don't have friends. I can be your friend. I can make you feel special mm -hmm. since no one else is doing that. So it's, I mean, I know that a lot of um, predators have said that like they intentionally seek out people who. Isolated. Are isolated. Mm -hmm. And if you're saying in your bio, like. I don't have friends and, and not, to, you know, not to blame her or anything, no, but it, no, it would but make sense why, like why a predator would, would be attracted to what vulnerability. she said. Yeah. And, and, you know, she did have friends. I think it was kind of one of those things like, Psh, I have no friends. Like, you know, yeah. you kind of joke yeah. about like, but yeah, I think that was kind of what was happening. And I totally agree that it looks like a, the exact kind of post that a predator would kind of pick up on and be like, Oh, okay. And I have to pretend to be, you know, not a creep and I can mm -hmm. do that and I can pretend like I'm their friend or companion. Yeah. So that's exactly where my head went to. And if you remember back to the week of her disappearance, Michaela had told her friend Amy that she had been talking to a guy called Christopher and Michaela's ex-boyfriend also said that Michaela had told him about a guy named Christopher. And the ex-boyfriend said, oh, yeah, Michaela said Christopher was visiting her as part of a trip he was making to visit his mother in Saskatoon. So Apparently, the RCMP identified and interviewed Christopher, as did police in the U.S., and they searched his house, but they found no evidence uh, in his house, and they found no evidence that he was even in Canada when Michaela disappeared. So that was kind of uh, a dead-end lead. Gotcha. Christopher himself assured, all I can provide for you is that she suffered with self-harm a few years back. Oof. Back then, I was helping those who struggled, and I encouraged her to fight against self-harm and to look towards God. And Sergeant Zawazlak followed Christopher's statement with that information. Um, there is no evidence to indicate Michaela was suicidal at the time she went missing. So that was, you know, obviously when he said that, they were like, well, let's look into that. But there there were no signs that she was had any ideation at the time she went missing. On April 11th, the day she did go missing, Michaela had also been talking about a guy named Josh. And police were not sure, of course, in our generation, every other person's named Josh josh and so i was about to say every like like i don't think this is i don't know anything yet to be able to discredit or uh take josh out of the picture but i will say there is the trope that like every problematic uh man out there is his name starts with a j so oh that's true that is a trope i was gonna say everybody is named josh because it's just such a common name in yeah. our generation but yeah so they didn't really know which josh she was talking to or there were multiple people in her life named josh so one josh that cbc spoke to disclosed i only saw slash talk to her once a week when she was in church bridge at this youth thing then we were out of touch for a few years and then she found my number and we talked a bit more but then stopped again he said they stopped talking at least 
just three years before Michaela went missing. So even though they were kind of acquaintances, that didn't seem to be a lead. Mm-hmm. There was, okay. there was, this part gave me the creeps. This part gave me the creeps. There was a glimmer of hope uh, when Shelby noticed that one of the Snapchats she had sent Michaela on the day of her disappearance was opened about three months later. <gasps> oh, that is spooky. Right? That's spooky. So someone, someone Somebody looked. opened some, it. I feel like that would, especially as a mother who is desperate for any, any sign that my child's okay, I would have leached onto that like it was no one's business. A hundred percent. And the problem was it's it Snapchat. It's really, you know, it's notorious for not being, <laughs> it's traceable, you know? And so yeah. even though it was marked as open, there was nothing really they could do. So the, the lead didn't amount to anything. And then um, she had sent more photos later and those were never open. So it's not like it happened again. It could have been a fluke. It could have been a hack. Um, it could have been Michaela, you know, who knows? I guess it could have been a hack, but then, yeah, I don't know. Was it someone like, or a glitch, I'm, a glitch. I, I feel like the police could have easily hacked into her. Well, then it's not traceable either. So I, yeah, I don't know. That's if I saw that someone who I thought was missing, who I knew was missing or dead and mm-hmm. they liked my stuff three months later, I would be posting so many things to them i'd be like are you okay what's going on what's going on and maybe like just give me one sign yeah accidentally scare them back into silence yeah yeah so we don't know what happened to that but it is kind of like a i don't know it just gave me the spooks a little bit creep me out um another line of inquiry was rick bright he was a man who's believed to be michaela's father And according to Michaela's friends, the story around Michaela's father had always been a bit hazy. Uh, One friend said Michaela told them her father was dead, but another friend said Michaela had always said she wanted to meet him. Mm. Uh, So she wasn't totally upfront about the story behind her dad. Yeah, it like might have just been easier to just tell people he's dead to avoid the topic. Exactly, exactly. According to Paula, Michaela's mom, there's no evidence that Bright is Michaela's father. And despite the fact that Bright said he was never contacted by Michaela, two officers showed up at his house in Saskatoon to investigate, but there was no evidence to suggest that he was in contact with her or had was involved in any way. Okay. Um, there are various other past police have been down to track Michaela. The first one is that one of Michaela's classmates named Hannah Seymour remembers that in February, Michaela had gotten a surprise delivery during drama class. Uh, Hannah describes, I just remember on that Valentine's Day, she had gotten a bouquet of roses to school like a guy had sent her roses. She never said it who it was. So we don't know who sent them. Uh, The roses apparently had come in a cardboard box, which Hannah thought was strange, but she said perhaps they'd been ordered online. Yeah, but still, that is a little odd. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, and she never told anyone. It's who too they bad were from. that she didn't tell, tell. It's just so frustrating that I she feel didn't. like I. Well, I don't know what their dynamic was, but I feel like if my friend, if you got roses and didn't tell me who they were from, I'd be like, spill I'm, it. I'm gonna rip this information. <laughs> yeah, out you're gonna you find don't. it. You're gonna figure <laughs> it out. I know. So it's hard to know. Like maybe she did tell somebody, and we just don't know who she told. And you know, it's high school too. It's like things get misremembered you know yeah Ugh. so it's, it's got to be frustrating but police got to the bottom of the lead and um sergeant zawazlock has said the person who sent those flowers has nothing to do with what happened to michaela but they never revealed oh. who, who it was so 
you know, they did figure out the sender, but we 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 don't know who it is, and we don't know why they've been discounted as. Yeah, interesting. They wouldn't say. I wonder but why. Maybe they're a minor. Oh, you know I see. I mean? Okay, like maybe they were another teenager. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the police were also eager to speak to people who worked at the bus depot where she was last seen. An employee said that she remembered speaking to Michaela that morning between 10 a.m. and 12, and Michaela had asked her what time a bus was leaving. The employee said 5 p.m., and Michaela decided against buying a ticket. So police okay. also... Yeah, so she didn't buy a ticket. So we know that. Um, police also interviewed Cheryl McDougal, who was waitressing at the restaurant, the trail stop that was connected to the bus depot. And she remembers Michaela ordering poutine and looking, quote, normal for the kids coming in. So she just seemed like mm. your average teenager. Uh, speaking to another customer at the trail stop restaurant that day, they remembered seeing Michaela leave the restaurant with a man who had a tattoo of a cross with red flames coming off it. Okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> no comment well okay. a sketch of the tattoo this this is not a dead end lead by the way this well it's sort of a dead end but it we actually get answers about this so a sketch of the tattoo was released to the public and a man came forward to say that he thought he might be the person they were looking for can you imagine being like watching tv and being like oh that's my, my fucking tattoo i'd TV. also be paired i think about that an uncomfortable amount where i'm like <laughs> what if there is a news outlet somewhere or like there's like press that I, I'm unaware because I only have streaming. I don't have cable. So like what if there's news going on where there's someone that looks eerily like me that's on the run and I'm always paranoid I'm going to get like put in jail because they think I'm a different person. I'm so scared of it. Wow. And so I'm so scared. And so if I ever like turned on the TV and they're like, we're looking for this person, I would be like my real life nightmare is coming true because yeah. like I – Either I tell the police like what this guy did, be like, um, that looks like me, but like maybe not me, but maybe it's me. But also, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I, uh, I would be, t I would be terrified. So this guy's like, I can't imagine the, uh, at least the one night of sleep he probably lost. Being Absolutely, like, I might go to jail by trying to be helpful, by <laughs> trying to do the right thing. You're right because we see so many of those situations where people are treated unfairly by you know the justice system, quote unquote, and it's like, do I want to get involved? But I also want to help if this person, if this will yeah. help the case. And you also don't want like your coworker to be like, holy shit, that's Doug's tattoo, you know? And, right? Yeah, and it's turn like, you I, in. That's I, not a good look. It's like you're you're better off like getting ahead of getting everything ahead. and like trying to control the situation. But then it's like, oh, man, like I'm walking right into a trap here. Yikes. And here's what actually happened. <laughs> this oh, poor no. guy. So he went up and he's like, um, I think that's my tattoo. Uh, so the RCMP, of course, questioned him. And basically all that happened was he held the door for her as she walked out of the restaurant. And somebody saw him holding the door and was like oh i guess this is notable which it is of course like if but um it turns out he literally had held the door for her and then they went their separate ways but so thankfully that was i mean obviously not thankfully that was a dead end but thankfully he was removed from the situation unscathed at the very least like at least it didn't it end up badly for him for him yeah exactly so he basically held the door and didn't know what he was getting himself into um but you know that that lead ended up not panning out 
But despite also contacting all the hotels in Yorkton and connecting cities, they could find no more information about Michaela. Mm. In August of 2017, the RCMP sent its dive team to search Hopkins Lake, which is close to Michaela's school. And they were they were very clear to say this is not linked to any tips that she had drowned or anything like that. They just wanted to check off all possibilities, such as an accidental death. So they searched the lake. They did not find any clues, did not find her. And despite the police pursuing and digging into over 600 tips that came in, nobody can be sure to this day what happened to Michaela Bali on April 12th. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Her mom, for what it's worth, believes that she could have been a victim of human trafficking, which unfortunately is all too real and prevalent uh, in today's world. Uh, With this private messaging app, Kick, it's theorized that maybe she had been chatting with or being groomed by somebody that she trusted and met up with in April, and they had, you know, more sinister motives than she could have known. Mm. And Sergeant Zawazlak has commented, do we have suspicion that something happened to Michaela that wasn't good? After all this time, I would say yes. Do I believe that Michaela is out there alive and doing well? She could be. So She could be. She could be. She could be. And so at least there's that bit of hope, you know. Um, Paula Bali, uh, Michaela's mother, continues to run a campaign to hopefully bring her daughter home or at least find out the truth of what happened to her. At one point, a reward of $50,000 was being offered for any information that led to the finding of Michaela. And this uh, included a $25,000 donation from an anonymous donor. Uh, every year, Paula Bali holds a vigil south of the high school, Sacred Heart High School, on the 13th of April in honor of her daughter. And she has commented tragically, I don't think there's ever a day that isn't a struggle. Oh my so God. I can't, I can't imagine just breaking every day. She must just be sick. I just can't be sick. I, I can't imagine. And I, I also wonder, you know, to me, the, the, it's just such a mystery, just plucked off the face of the earth. You know what I mean? Like no mm-hmm. trace. And it's just, how can that happen? And with some, a teenager who's so active online, it, it just disappear. It's, it's scary. Um, so yeah, we don't really know what happened. I mean, I think the theory of human trafficking, unfortunately makes a lot of sense. That's something that's increasing in Canada and around the world. Um, I believe. And and with human trafficking, a lot of times they use like people your age to like swindle you into like, Mm -hmm. cause I know there's a, I'm also on that side of TikTok where people will say that like a a girl their age like came up to them and was like hey can I like borrow your phone or like hey I need can you take me to the I'm I've seen some really scary ones where um there's a girl that's like looks a little younger than than you and is like hey there's a really creepy guy (gasps) like following me can you please like walk with me to my car or to my apartment and then like you don't realize you're the one getting trapped and like it's just so so it, I could totally imagine someone thinking they just made friends with someone on kick or online and like, oh, let's go grab a, a burger together. We're just like two girls out on the town. It's and it's just a trap. It's, it's horrible. And, you know, you wonder, like, well, why didn't she say anything? Well, you don't know. You don't know how this person could have manipulated by saying, uh, you know, don't tell anybody because I'm in danger. Yeah, you never know how somebody could manipulate you, but they're good at what they do, which is why it's so mm-hmm. scary and so fucked up. Um, you know, there's signs all over that's like airports and things like that now too that say like if you see anything odd or even if you are being trafficked call this number and it's just really scary because they have ways of removing you from any sort of safety net or situation where you could contact someone 
you know, and, and then control you with usually drugs. Um, also, in case anyone is on YouTube and needs the sign, like apparently, like if you put your hand up and put your thumb yeah. into your palm and then close your fingers over your thumb, that's a, a universal way of saying help. So if you need that or if you see someone doing it to you, they are probably next to somebody that they can't openly shout for help next to. Well, fun so, fact, that happened in Kentucky a few months ago. Did you hear about you? that? No, God, no. Sorry. Oh. To a woman in Kentucky or a girl in Kentucky. Um was driving or somebody was driving and saw a girl in the car window do that and knew it from TikTok and called the police and it ended up being somebody who had been abducted and <gasps> it was it was somebody who had been abducted I think by you know a, a parent or you know it, it wasn't necessarily like a trafficking it wasn't a trafficking situation but um it was somebody who had people were looking for and so it actually led to that person's rescue so yeah if you see someone put their palm up to you and close but, their fingers around their thumb please uh take it seriously yeah a worst thing that happens is that you make a false thing and it ends up being fine and everybody yeah. goes home and thankfully there wasn't anything bad happening but yeah best case scenario hopefully you at least <laughs> i don't know i guess best case yeah. scenario is also nothing was happening <laughs> so right right i, I don't know uh, it's worth you said, to see something say something uh you said at the end you were gonna redo the number and the yes okay so I have that right here. I'm also going to give a description of Michaela. Mm. So Michaela is a Caucasian female with blue eyes. At the time of her disappearance, Michaela was 16, 5 foot 2, and had long ash blonde hair. I believe her hair naturally is a red color, so for what okay. it's worth, but she was known to dye it. She was wearing blue jeans, a burgundy jacket, a teal infinity scarf, embroidered burgundy suede boots, a ruby gemstone ring, and carrying a blue plaid backpack. Her right earlobe has a tiny scar on it, and Michaela reportedly had numerous scars on her body as well. Uh, there are photos also online of an age progression. So if you look up Michaela, which is spelled M-E-K-A-Y-L-A, if you look up Michaela Bali, B-A-L-I, you can see age progressed photos with and without glasses to see what she may look like. Um, if you do have any information, even if you're not sure if it's important, um, it's worth trying to uh, put it out there. So if you have any information to help the family or help Michaela, you can email Miracle Michaela. That's again, Miracle and then M-E-K-A-Y-L-A at gmail.com. Or you can call 1-306-641-9436. And that's the story of Michaela Bali. And, you know, hopefully someday this will have... Answers, ending. yeah, or at least answers, yeah. Mm. Wow. Well, <laughs> no, thank you for that. Um, yikes! Yikes! I just, I'm just thinking of now that you've said human trafficking. I feel bad at the beginning where I was like, oh, it feels like she caused this, she wanted this, she did this. I, I don't think you. I don't think you. Uh, I don't think I that. was. I hope I didn't sound like I was like immediately like picking to blame the victim or anything, but it does. There's, there's just so many things that just don't make sense. I mean, I'm sure I'm, you and I aren't the first people to think like that, but there's so many things that just, they don't, don't add up. Add and, up. Yeah. And, and it, and it really does to me feel like in a situation that you said of, you know, she trusted somebody who used, who, who somehow convinced her to stay quiet, to not tell people for whatever reason, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, told her and she felt safe with this person. This is what it feels like to me. Um, again, you know, obviously I have no idea what happened. Yeah. Um, and nobody can really know, but I think it just has the, uh, feel of 
somebody predatory taking advantage, especially with these kind of apps that can't be traced. And with the fact that she coupled with the fact that she was looking for friends online, you know, and we just hear those stories and it's, it's sad. It's sad. Um, So that's our show. (laughs) Yeah, that's our show. When does this come out? Uh, In two weeks. Easter, remember? Oh, right, right, right. Easter. Are you doing anything for Easter now that you well, were back with your family? Leona's first Easter, so we're probably just going to do a little baby Easter egg hunt and, you know, give her colorful toys. I think that's about as far as it'll go. I saw something on um, TikTok instead of, like, hiding eggs and making, like, adults do, like, egg hunts, you just hide, like, cans of beer everywhere. So maybe you should make Blaze do that. Hey, now that <laughs> I can get behind. Okay. All right. I made a new plan. Thank you, Em. <laughs> you're welcome. I mean, your your baby, uh, precious as she is, is not going to be very fun on Easter, like in terms of like traditions. So she'll I'd... be fun to dress up and hand her stuffed bunnies. So that part that's will be true. Fun. But, but she's she probably activities. won't enjoy Easter herself until she's like kind of a until little she more can aware. Eat yeah, I have a feeling <laughs> not being able to eat candy yet kind of sucks on Easter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing either. I think I have another doctor's appointment. I don't know. On <laughs> Sunday? I don't think so. I think <laughs> I did. I think not on Easter Sunday. No, Easter Monday, I think. <laughs> oh, well, wow. What a holiday. I know. I Actually, now that I've said that, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I did have something I was doing Easter, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still alone. Allison is not coming back until like mid-May, so oh I guess gosh. I'm going to do whatever... Whatever I want all for alone, Easter. All alone, all tragic. So all sad. tragic. Uh, I'll I'll update you on whether or not I hide things for myself and do my own little Easter egg hunt. So. That could be fun. <laughs> I honestly, if Sleep Me does hide things, it will be a very long game where I just overtime find things. That, Take like, an Ambien just... and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, hey, we don't know how fun this Easter is going to be or not. <laughs> it'll be it'll be fun let's manifest it and that's why we drink bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 investments like acquiring america's largest biogas producer archaea energy and starting up new infrastructure in the gulf of mexico it's and not or See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.